0: PKD Black Box is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. This is the PKD Black Box, episode 33. Welcome back to the PKD Black Box. I'm your host, Sean Pryor, a.k.a. Stan Leroy, a.k.a. Barack O'Comics. This week's show, I joined the Matinee Idols podcast as they discussed one of their favorite and my favorite movies of all time, Jurassic Park. Uh, this episode um, I was a part of uh, aired a while back on the Matinee Idols podcast, and I enjoyed it so much that I wanted to share it with the rest of you, myself along with Joey Lucio. Alec Berry, Vern Griffiths, and Matt Burden of the Matinee Idols Podcast all just teamed up to talk about all the things we enjoyed about Jurassic Park. And I thank the Matinee Idols Podcast for letting me be a part of this episode. In fact, I enjoyed being on the Matinee Idols so much that... This month is essentially what I like to call the Matinee, Matinee Idols Collaboration Month. And what I, what by that I mean is this. This week, for this episode, you're going to hear which aired um, as episode 25 on Matinee Idols at Matinee Idols, and that's Idols spelled I-D-L-E-S dot com. Next week, I'll have a fresh new show uh, where myself and um, Matinee Idols co-host Matt Burton, we have part one of our favorite 80s action movies. And then the following week after that, Additional host of Matinee Idols, Alec Barry and Joey Lucio, and myself. We talk about the state of the film industry. And then the week after that, we continue our best of 80s action movie uh, segment between myself, Matt Burden, and fellow PKD Black Box member Donnie Salvo. So it's a month of, <laughs> I like to call it, it's a month of Matinee Idols. Uh, Matinee Idols and the PKD Black Box tag team and to uh, give you some of the best entertainment we possibly can. But before we get to our uh, main topic. I got some things that I want to talk to you about. Well, the final votes are in. And unfortunately, the PKD black box is not a 2010 Parsec finalist. Uh, earlier, I had mentioned that the PKD Black Box um, received two uh, 2010 Parsec podcast nominations for a Best uh, Speculative Fiction Fan or News Podcast and Best Podcast about Speculative Fiction Content Creation. Um, we were very happy to uh, receive those nominations. And after the final votes, unfortunately, we were not finalists, but I wanted to take a moment out to thank the Parsec Committee for taking time out to take a listen to our show and what we try to do here and for the two nominations and I'll just, you know, make sure that we all continue to improve the PKD Black Box uh, podcast and our entire network to give all of you the best content possible but I am very thankful I'm extremely thankful. Everyone here at the PKD Black Box is very thankful for the nomination, so to the Parsec Committee, I say thank you.
1: The star has got to be the short shot in
0: Still, I'm kind of we all have things that inspire us. Uh, we have things that inspire us to create, to operate, to function and do the best we can do on a daily basis. And I have many inspirations. I have inspirations from music, literature, film, my parents, yeah, all types of things. But one influence actually was a gentleman that passed away back in April. Um he was an M C known as Guru. His real name, uh, Keith Edward Elam, he uh, passed away after um, a battle with cancer. Guru was part of the hip-hop duo Gangstar, along with DJ Premier. Now, one thing about Gangstar, for for my hip-hop people, or actually for my hip-hop and non-hip-hop people, and give you a quick little history lesson on Gangstar and, and Guru, one of my favorite MCs. The way Gangstar worked was basically this. DJ Premier made the beats, Guru made the rhymes. That's how it worked. It's probably probably one of the best hip hop duos of all time. The lyrics were socially conscious, uh, conscious, and, you know, they're very no nonsense. Yeah, Every now and then you have a track where Guru would have some fun with it. But the lyrics always had some type of meaning behind it. And with DJ Premier's like beat style making is like part jazz, part like this, it's just like this new style that so many people tried to emulate, and no one could ever duplicate. I came into Gangstar late. Um, Gangstar's first album was No More Mr. Nice Guy in 1989, Um, and I think like the hit song off that album was Words I Manifest. I didn't hop into listening to Gangstar until 1994, when they dropped an album called Hard To Earn, and one of the hit songs off that album is Mass Appeal. It talks about this whole thing about mainstream, fighting so hard to be part of the mainstream where if you just continue to do your thing, they'll come to you instead of you always having to go to them. Mass Appeal is also a cool song because it's just got one of the fattest beats ever. And once again, it's a beat that can never be duplicated. Premier's beats are awesome and Guru's rhymes are solid on that song. But that song was so fantastic to me, I started going back through their back catalog to see what else they had. So I, I purchased No More Mr. Nice Guy. and. It wasn't a bad album at all. It's the beginning, so you know the, your first album. Your first album is normally your roughest, and like I said, "Words I Manifest" fantastic, best song, best song on the album. But when I got to step into the arena, that's when you really see the genesis of Gang truly start to form with songs like "Step in the Arena," "Who's Gonna Take the Weight," "Love Sick," uh, "Take a Rest," and "Just to Get a Rep." Great album. And then from there, they moved on to Daily Operation in 1992. Step in the Arena was in 1991. And with Daily Operation, you had tracks like X-Girl to the Next Girl, Siloquia of Chaos, Conspiracy. And then in 1994, as I said before, Hard to Earn with Code of the Streets, Tons of Guns, Mass Appeal, fantastic records. And then... For me, the two albums that really speak out most for me um, and Gangstar and especially for Guru are Moment of Truth in 1998, which is just track after track is solid. The interludes kind of slow down the album a bit, but if you can get through that, this album is almost perfect. It is almost the perfect hip hop record. And then The Owners, the last uh, album that uh, Guru and Premier worked on together in 2003. Now, Guru also did solo projects. He also did a thing called Jazz mitaz, which was like this uh, jazz-influenced hip-hop um, joint. So he did a couple of them. He did, like, Volumes 1 and 2. It had greats such as uh, Branford Marsalis, uh, Donald Byrd, Roy Ayers, Lonnie Liston Smith. He even brought in cats like French rapper extraordinaire MC Solar. Volume 2, he did, you know, more Jazz mitaz, you know, more, more jazz meets hip-hop and then volume three, it became Jazz Mitaz, Street Soul, which merged not only jazz, but R&B as well. And it wasn't that stereotypical like R&B type hip hop. It was, it was real smooth. And then from there, he also had done volume four, which released in 2007, which I actually haven't heard yet. And he also cut a, a couple of uh, solo records as well. Unfortunately, with Guru's passing, there will be no more Gangstar albums. Um, DJ Premier is still producing beats for plenty of artists in all types of in all types of genres, and he's, like I said before, he's one of my favorites because no one does a beat like DJ Premier. But I have to say that um, it's sad that there will be no more Gangstar albums. I mean, I'm thankful that there's a catalog for people to go and listen to. Also, at the same time, if Gangstar existed today, Gangstar probably only had one album, and here's why. And this goes back to my theory of how, the, how messed up the music industry is. When Gangstar first started, No More Mr. Nice Guy, Step in the Arena, Daily Operation, and Hard to Earn. When those albums first came out, those albums didn't even reach gold. Moment of Truth was their first album to sell over 500,000 copies in the United States. Now granted, overseas, they sold well. They sold very well overseas. But in the United States, their first album that went gold was Moment of Truth. And, and from there, their back catalog started to pick up on some sales. Nowadays, artists can't do that. It's very r- rare that a label allows artists to culture and grow to a point where they're able to you know, just continue to sell. This would not work nowadays. It would not at all. There are very few labels that cultivate groups and artists. Extreme, extreme few. Um, Gangstar will probably be more, at, more of an independent act nowadays than an act on a major label. But throughout it all, Guru will be missed, his voice will be missed, uh, Gangstar will be missed, but we still have quality music in the Gangstar catalog. We still have quality music in the Guru Jazz Mataz series and some, of his solo, and some of Guru's solo albums, and we still have DJ Premier's beats bumping across the, across the globe. So there is something good when it's all said and done. The PKD Black Box will return after this message from the Forum for Geeks Podcast of the Month. I'm Chris Kizicki. I'm Ryan Hilliker. I'm Luke Castro. I'm Luke Cage.
2: And where is Purple
3: Man? He's a little busy right now. If
1: you want to know where Purple Man is... Listen to No Apologies.
3: <laughs> you want to know what, how far a hot dog can go down a hall was. <laughs> <laughs> You want to find out just what Daryl does with that can of pop.
4: Bring your own handlers, please.
0: <laughs> and join us. <laughs> Did you ever want to tape the conversations you had drunk with your, uh, your uh, fanboy friends? That's No Apologies.
4: It's like... A podcast about some geeks talking comics at 2 a.m. in a bar.
2: Right. And we don't have we are not professional. We just have. as
4: you can obviously
2: tell from this promo. <laughs> exactly. So, join us on
0: no apologies and take care. And now our feature presentation.
3: You are listening to Matlin Idols, episode twenty-five. Hold on to your butt. It's Jurassic Park. There you go. It's Jurassic Park. Yay! I've blown it. I've blown it. I've told everybody. Um, We all knew it was Jurassic Park. Unless you're, you know, new here, in which case you probably stopped listening five seconds ago. But if you've, you know, stuck through this mumbling, um, yes, as I've said, we're uh, the Matt the Idols. Uh, we're up to 25. It's an anniversary of sorts. Um, wow. So for this show, yeah. I know, I know, I know. I think we Legal should just go around. Legal to drink
5: in Northern Ireland. Fantastic.
3: I'm drinking Budweiser. Before we get to anything that even resembles a roll call of any kind, we should uh, just say that I'm Matt Burden. I'm Joe Illusio. I'm the Griffiths and I'm Alec Berry, and
1: this show is brought to you by audible.com head over to audiblepodcast.com slash matinee idols to get a two-week free trial of any audiobook of your choice it's easy to do and it's a lot of free books so check it out lovely <clears throat> Matt
5: yeah, introduce our guest, <laughs> Matt 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 Matt. introduce our guest. we've got yes, a guest Matt Matt I'm we excited
3: do. are you Oh, yeah, I'm because oh, well,
5: oh, I told him. So, so <gasps> uh,
3: all right. Well, um, look, we're on our 25th episode, and um, for an anniversary of sorts, uh, we have brought back somebody who has appeared on the show previously and um, is a good, you know, an amazing friend of the show and a, an amazing all-round guy. Uh, the um, The leader, the head, the um, commander-in-chief of PKDmedia.com dot com, Mister Sean Pryor. How are you, sir?
0: I'm doing great, gents. How are you doing this evening or afternoon? I don't even know what fucking time it is anymore right now. But uh, I'm doing great. Thank, thank you for having me on the show, y'all. For real, seriously.
3: Oh, it's a pleasure, absolute pleasure. Um, and for today, of course, as we've explained, we are doing Jurassic Park. And this, I think, this is this has been a long time coming. We've had an awful lot of um, stuff that's meant a lot to um, each of us. You had um, tearful Vern last time, or rather, um, Vern making. Yes, I know. Vern making everyone else tearful. Did you see did you see the Twitter? Did you see the tweets from Alan?
5: Uh, no, you didn't.
3: you didn't. Okay. Well, no, he got I know, very. No, ups- no, I'm, I'm just... He got very upset. He, he listened to the Marty episode, and uh, he's listened to it twice now. He's checking out the film again because um, I think your comments about being a, a chubby Welsh man um, <laughs> and uh, and 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 kind of sympathising with uh, um, somebody from New York who's also chubby made him tearful. And uh, he, you know, he's. he's
5: I've got to say, Alan listened Alan, to it more than a couple ch- of times. Not so chubby yet. anymore. Alan, Alan looking pretty good these days. If you don't mind me saying. I, I see. I saw well, I, a picture of him on his on his on his Facebook. He's done look chubby to me. He looks uh, he looks svelte. He looks svelte, Alan. The world loves you, and you love the world. Rock on. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome.
3: <laughs> uh, uh, he, I mean, right now, I don't know. He's probably on a bus commuting, and you've just made his day. I, I think, I think. So what you're saying is he's well fit
5: yeah i i I was i obviously i was going for the pity uh vote uh, and but and and heading towards hopefully some sort of um some sort of pity sex but not not with alan i I was hoping for someone in this country and you know with with a vagina
3: with a girl okay uh, so we've got <laughs> apologies we've gone around I've done you know I, I've I've, of course you know um, chosen movies that were huge for me and of course um, Joey um, Joey has as well but Alec has now chosen the movie that apparently was his first film and he's this is gonna this is Alec's time to shine this is the, gonna be the most you ever hear from Alec so I'm gonna <laughs> c- push the mute button now because believe me people hold on to your seats Um, hold on to your butts as samuel jackson is fond of saying in between cigarettes in this movie this is alex movie so um so i I think i really need to pass over to alex why did you choose it why do you love it and um what's the big deal um about jurassic park
1: jurassic park i don't know i think it all started probably when i was a little kid like four or five and uh, most little kids are always obsessed with dinosaurs when you're really young and i was one of those kids like i was obsessed with dinosaurs um, knew all the names, had all these different like books, kids' children's books they read, had the pictures, illustrations, read them all the time. I was just obsessed. I think it was it was on TBS. They, used to, they, they aired Jurassic Park one time, and my parents knew about this movie just for some reason. I guess it was, I imagine it was probably big at the time, and media, news and such, they probably knew about it. And TBS was airing it, and they just kind of sat me down. I was really young. I remember being really excited. I wasn't sure what was going to happen cuz I like I think before that I really couldn't remember um, actually like watching a movie, you know? And I they, they just sat me down and watched it, like I think you're going to really going to like this, the stuff you like in here. And I remember just when that freaking velociraptor attacks at the beginning and you get to the T-Rex taking out the jeeps and the cars, I was just I was blown away. <laughs> what is this? What is this, Joe? I thought you would find that funny. The first time you saw it was in the wrong
3: aspect that's, ratio. Oh my god! Right. <laughs> I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. Explain. Because he watched under- it on regular TV, yeah. so it's so I, didn't, I didn't see, I didn't see it in widescreen. It wasn't good enough. Yeah. Oh <laughs> my god! That is you. You are a barrel of laughs at parties. You. That's, that's like that's like my plumber yeah. friend saying you know how are you Giles I'm fine what do you do I'm a plumber brilliant what did you do today i fix some rads and then they have a conversation about boilers and then most people go over and, and, and you know you know investigate the dip early oh my god <laughs> aspect ratio
4: come on for a film like that you should see that and it's a 10 can we aspect. get
5: back to this episode. can we get back, get back to the, back to the episode, episode. Don't, don't, be, this, finally Alex got something I to say know, know. but hopefully and you're interrupting about aspect ratios? Come on!
3: Come on! He's, he's, a, he's a kid and he's blown away with Velociraptors oh eating people and giant in jeeps and you're talking about aspect ratio. I didn't oh. care when oh, I was five.
1: Didn't care. You did very well. Back, Back to it.
3: it. Um, um, Alec, you're doing, you're doing great. You crack on. Thank you. <laughs> I can't even remember where I left off.
1: Um. So yeah, I mean, watching watching these just giant animals, which I'd always, you know, was obsessed with, a little kid, just tearing apart people and cars and stuff at the age of five was just, like, the coolest fucking thing I'd ever seen. So, from there on, I got a VHS copy of it, parents, like, got it for me Christmas or something, and I just I kept watching
3: it more of the quality. I'm sorry, it's not up to your standards, Joe. But, I can't uh, believe this. Joey's now going, you didn't have the Laserdisc at the age of five? <laughs> So, you know, I, I, I watched this VHS
1: tape all the time, all the time. I mean, Jurassic Park, the toys, the action figures, plastic dinosaurs, the cars, I had it all. I, I remember just, you know, I'd lay out on the floor, living room floor, have the movie on. I'd be playing with the trucks, the, the you know, the plastic T-Rex, uh, just eating the action figures, just having a good old time. And, I mean, you know, after that, I watched the sequel, Lost World. I think that came out. Actually, that came out probably only a year after I originally saw the first movie. So it was right around that time, 97, 98, I think it was. Uh, watched that, got really obsessed with that. Jurassic Park 3, watched it, and I loved it when I was a little kid. Now, kind of looking at it now, I'm like, eh, whatever. But, I mean, I, I'd seen this movie so many times, and mainly just for the reason to see dinosaurs and to see all this cool action. then it wasn't until probably you know, 12, 13, I got a little older, like, I really started to see more in the movie and started to pay attention to the actual characters and the story. And then I found out it was actually based on the book by Michael Crichton. And I remember at the school library, I think it was, like, junior high, they used to, like, take us there, like, once a week and they'd make us get out a book because they want us to read and stuff. And I remember seeing it on the shelf Jurassic Park and I'm like, I had no idea this was a novel. This was so cool. And it was a really big, thick novel. Um, Never read a book that big before. Wasn't sure if I was gonna do it, but I'm like, you know what? It's Jurassic Park. I gotta read it. So, get it. I read the book, tore through it. Actually, I ended up loving the book a lot more than I loved the movie. Um, and then I read the sequel, and it got me turned on a bunch of Michael Crichton. I love Michael Crichton. I um, Love his, you know, Sphere. He did a drama, Strains, good stuff. Um, but, you know, loved this movie. Then I wanted to do it for this show, just you know, for the reason that you know it really was a big impact. On growing up, it was one of the first movies I ever saw. It always stuck with me. But the thing I always took away from Jurassic Park was I think when I look back at it now, I think Jurassic Park really it influenced me in the way I think the way I think in terms of you know being creative. Um, I think that movie, you know what it was doing. I think when you know before that movie was made, if you were told somebody we're going to put a T Rex on the screen tearing apart a Jeep and busting through a fence and we're going to make it look awesome, um, somebody probably would have just laughed at you and said you were crazy. And But that movie disproves all that. It just made, kind of made it real, the magic of it. And going back and watching it just recently, and watching that Tyrannosaur when it's busting out of the paddock and taking out the two cars, it's still one of the coolest things I've ever seen in the movie. I, I think the way that animatronic is blended with the CG, it's just so well done. I love that scene. And... That movie is always kind of, it's really affected what I look for and what I really um, just tend to think about, just being creative. and really wanting to do creative things because the way that movie was made and what they strive for in the visuals of it. And it just makes me think big because that movie really deals with big ideas and big, you know, characters. I mean, a Tyrannosaurus Rex is a character in that movie. Oh, I just, I love this movie. And getting to rewatch it again um, after not seeing it for such a long time was just, geek out it was just so much fun and i still love the movie i still think it's a really good movie i watched it twice within this past week i mean a couple of things i see in it you know story wise writing wise the thicker little weak and they kind of bugged me but i still think it's just a great film
3: wow cool cool like- um, um should,
4: should we go through the history say, or are we yeah. just gonna forgo that this time
3: I don't know. I th- I kind of get a uh, kind of a bit of a Jaws vibe. Yeah, of, I was thinking of this I one. Concerned. I was I was kind of thinking a, a lot of the history. I think will come out during kind of what, what yeah. yeah as we go along. I was you know um, I mean Sean, did you do you want to go next? What, what's your history with the movie?
0: Um, my history with Jurassic Park um, when this film came out. My my mother, who is the person that helped me like get all excited and hyped up about comics as a kid and movies as a kid. When this film came out, she was all excited about it. And she said, I'm going to go see Jurassic Park. You want to go? I was like, yeah, sure. No problem. And I knew a little bit about it. And this was during that period of time in my life where in 1993, I was, let's see, should have been about, yeah, 18, almost 18 years old. And I wasn't really into movies at that time. I was just like in and out of it. But when I went to go see Jurassic Park, it kind of was that transition for me to step back into going into the movie theater again because... You know, it was one of those game changers. Um, This film was a game changer. I'm not just saying that from a special effects uh, standpoint, but just from everything. It, for me, it brought the blockbuster back to the movie theater, and it made me go see you know all types of movies. Didn't matter what it was. It got me to go back to the movie theater to go see other things. So it had that kind of that kind of mark on me. As with Alex said, with the Tyrannosaurus Rex, um, that he's absolutely right. That was the first time I think you ever seen something that was done so well blending the animatronics with the cgi i thought that was For my
4: money i think that's that's still i think the best single I c- cgi am that's I what i now? that's
0: what i exactly what i yeah. thought watching this i, week. Don't, still, I don't see
4: because i've seen people say oh Jurassic park is dated visually and i don't get that
1: argument in some
0: sequences no, yes no
1: but that t-rex scene still looks absolutely amazing and,
0: absolutely. and the man the main reason why it looks so nice is because the when like it's when they're you know when uh jeff goldblum and them are being chased Anytime you see the T Rex at night do its thing, it looks fantastic because it's yeah. at night, yeah. and exactly. you know, and, and so like you know, you have all this darkness encompassing it, and it's making up for you know, you know to hide like any type of CGI lines or anything like that. It makes it look good. If you watch the scene where where they're all running away from like the dinosaurs because the dinosaurs are like running somewhere, I can't yeah. remember where. Yeah, yeah. the Galapagos. Gallim- Gallim-
1: yeah, well, yes, they're being chased by the T Rex.
0: <laughs> yes, there you go. When you look at that scene, you can like see that the, not to see not that the cgi is spotty it's just that you just know it's cgi yeah. because because the scene is so brightly you know it's just, the, bright same thick.
1: thing with the brachiosaur when you first see the brachiosaur it doesn't it, it, that one looks a little digital to me now looking at it now to right. before
0: but the team even
4: so a, though even so i still say though i've stuff i've seen people tout today that, oh it's so amazing you can't tell and i can tell right away and i still see those and i don't think they're that bad
0: Oh, no, no, no! They're yeah. not. And I know what you not. mean,
4: though. There, there's some where you could like trace a line around and see that at CGI, but yeah.
0: Right, but it was just it was well put together. It was a lot of fun, and you know, I'll, I'll be the first to say like, you know, those Velociraptors, like, you know, just like you know, just really kind of freaked me out. And it was that first time like I ever ever had a um, a movie where you had like a, a thing such as a Velociraptor giving me that type of chill, as compared to like say, for instance, That's- the the Alien and Alien or Aliens.
1: That's another thing I was yeah. thinking about this week when we're rewatching is like, I, like I mentioned, I watched this thing when I was like four or five, and I don't remember this movie ever scaring me, because like, I was watching it this week and I'm like watching these raptor sequences where like Maldoon is being hunted, and these things are like these these creatures are just hunting this human being, and I'm like this should have ter- this should have scared the shit out of me when I was five years old, but I like I loved it, didn't even scare me whatsoever, and I think about it now and I'm like that's really kind of creepy. Yes, it is. You know what
0: I mean, not not not, not, not <laughs> you creepy. not being scared, being kind of creepy. Yeah, no, it's c- creepy.
5: You're <laughs> <laughs> a sociopath, Alex. Thank you, thank you. But, no, no,
0: no. But no, that scene is creepy. But I think there's a, this film also does a good job of playing up on you know people's fears and stuff like that. And uh, it, it did for me, you know, because I was like sometimes on edge, waiting for something to happen, and, and it it was. I enjoy the film, and I still enjoy it to this day. I still say it's the best out of the three films they put, to, you know, that they've put out there. And um, yeah, and like, as I said before, and this is something we'll probably talk about later, because um, you know, I'm just waiting for Vern to slag on Avatar, but <laughs> but like the whole thing about it is, is that this film and Avatar me have like a similarity in the fact that it brings the blockbuster. To the back to the cinema. And I, I mean, it's not a, it's not a saying that like, you know, Avatar is great or Jurassic Park is the greatness, but it's bringing that blockbuster feeling back to a cinema to make people say, hey, we got to go see this. Hey, we need to go see this. And I think that was good for the film industry in 93. And, and, and to be honest with you, it was kind of, they're also the
4: next huge step in special effects as well. Yeah.
0: There you Which,
4: go. Game, both of yeah. Because like, I actually, it is funny because I actually think since then there hasn't been a film well, Avatar would be the next one, I guess, where people actually had to say, "Wow, never saw that before."
3: Mm-hmm. Um, you
4: know, so I think, yeah, she, it's it's in that long line of lineage of you know the whatever technical pushing the side of what you can do technically, I guess.
5: Right. Yeah. Well, I guess the next one after this would have been T uh, two. Yeah. Is that yes? Ben, which was like two years later or something or whatever.
4: No, T two was before this, I thought. It was yeah, just ninety two, isn't it? Ninety two. All right. Yeah. Ninety two.
3: was only okay. a year before. Because, yeah, like, right. the,
4: the, the movies that were, like, the... was like, Yeah, because, like, Abyss... Abyss was the first... I think the first one which really yep. tested CGI. Then yeah. it was T2. Then it's Jurassic Park. I think it was those. It was right, right. Obviously, Cameron as well. Well, that's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: Joey, do you, do you want you wanna to go? Yeah, go for it.
4: Okay. Jurassic Park, uh, for me, like Alec, like every, probably every kid, I was obsessed with dinosaurs when I was a kid, and uh, I remember seeing the trailer for this i remember if it was on tv or if it was in or if it was before another movie but i just i still remember the trailer i just remember when you saw the t-rex's foot step down in the mud that was always the shot they used in the trailer and it was like you know something survived or something like that, is what it says in the trailer and uh, i remember being like asking my mom you know like can we go see this can I see you know, said, you know my parents were a lot more liberal with stuff like that like with the movies like they weren't um they weren't like, oh, you know, this is too scary. They weren't so concerned. I I can handle almost anything. Nothing really bothered me that much. So and they knew I was teaching the dinosaurs. So actually, I think it was like a Tuesday. I remember it was a weird day. Went like went to the movies after school on like a Tuesday or something. I remember my mom came with my sister, and they'd be picked up, and they was like, all right, so we are going home? Whatever. They're like, nope, we're going to the movies. Uh, and, uh, I was like, oh really? And I was like, do you want to see Jurassic Park? So, I mean, they knew my mom, my mom never went to the movies. She's not a big, you know, she doesn't like going out that much. So for her to go and take me, that was kind of a big deal. And, uh, I remember that we, we went, I saw it. Yeah. It blew me away. It's still the first time I remember seeing that, like, like we we're talking about with the visuals that it was literally, I couldn't tell. I, I really thought they were real. <laughs> my better part of my brain was telling me they weren't, you know, they're probably some fake thing, but. You couldn't tell, at least definitely at that point in time, especially at the T-Rex scene. You really thought they made a T-Rex and just put it there on the set. It was really that indistinguishable. And um, I remember from that point on, I remember I was obsessed with dinosaurs before. I was even more obsessed afterwards. And this was kind of the first film where I really paid attention to who the filmmaker was. And I remember Steven Spielberg was the first director I remember I could could name. I knew what he looked like. I knew what other movies he made. I remember I got all these... uh, books out in the library about Spielberg as a filmmaker, and then eventually I saw Jaws a few years after that, and you know, Close Encounters and all that stuff. I remember the thing with the dinosaurs, I remember if you remember, this was a huge, like, boom for the paleontology, like, uh, industry. Uh, Apparently, like, more people became paleontologists after this than there ever had been before and that like continues to grow ever since then and Actually, then there was, was a whole was other it industry wasn't just... just
3: david Schwimmer then it wasn't david but
2: um
4: i remember that all these companies started coming out with dinosaur encyclopedias and it was like a, if you were if you had some business related to dinosaurs you were doing a, you were making a lot of money in 1993 and uh i remember unless you made
5: like dinosaur hats
2: or
3: something. <laughs> yeah. <right>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not even dinosaurs
5: to couple. Yeah, I mean, like, we'd well,
2: yeah, I mean,
3: still... we have to say Alec. Did you have a dinosaur hat? I, not that I can remember,
1: but I did want to be a paleontologist for a short period of time. I do remember that. There's, still time, There's
4: time, still time, Alec. Fossil museums and stuff like had an all-time high for people visiting to come and see mm-hmm. dinosaur bones. All I remember I had this encyclopedia of dinosaurs that um my mom put me on. They they sent you a new book every month. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I, I yeah, I continued that all the way through like middle school, and then eventually I was like, all right, I gotta kind of stop this. It's like way too many books. But it was but it was fascinating. I managed to read all these books, and um, I'd be able to see like what they, where they got information from in the movie, what they decided to change. Like for example, like the the velociraptors in the movies are really deinachius. They're not really velociraptors because they didn't have all that information yet at the time. And it's stuff you could see they did in later movies, like when they gave the raptors feathers and stuff. This was all stuff that they were finding information out about and then adding it to the movie. And uh, it was – it was, and they were finding – there was like um, – since there were so many more paleontologists, people were discovering new dinosaur bones, new types of species. I think the Spinosaurus was something that was actually found in between that time after yeah. Jurassic yeah. Park came out and yeah. Jurassic Park 3 came out. And they realized, oh, it was actually the biggest, so we have to incorporate it in this you know universe somewhere. And um, I don't know, it Just it was just a it's just a really special movie, and I, I, I love it. I, I know Alex said before about the book, but I disagree. Like I I read the book. I, I didn't find like, it as I, near as good. I think
1: like, I think the book is great for what it is. I, I think the movie is great for what it is. But I I did really like. It's very odd. I think when you watch the the first and the second movie, they really are just kind of the first book, um, except for obviously the title. And there's some aspects of the second book in the second movie. <laughs> But, I mean, it's I, 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 do, I just like how the book really got a lot more into the world. Because that was one of the things I did notice watching this movie back is that, you know, there are some instances where I was just like, oh, man, I wish they kind of went and explored this a little bit more. Or something like, you know, what's over there? You know, what's back here? And the book kind of does all that. And it really kind of gets into the nitty-gritty of this, this island, this ecosystem. What's there? The questions. And I, I just, you know, again, the books obviously are always going to do that over the film because the film has to be two hours Books can be eight to eight hundred to a thousand pages, so there you go. But I, it's mean, like,
4: I get, um, that, I get yeah. that concern, and I think but looking at it now, um, I, th- I think a lot of people, the reason you hear so many people say, "Oh, the Jurassic Park the book is better than the movie is because I think it's, it's the first book I think a lot of kids read. Yeah. This is the first book that had a movie attached to it. And then when they see the book and they notice that, oh, there's more here, there was more than what's in the movie, they assume it's better because of that you just see Maybe there's more stuff
1: that might better. be that might be my case because i mean i haven't read the book since the one time i read it way and back i'm not saying that, the book is horrible
4: it's not but it's basically just his other book westworld with dinosaurs in it it's not much <laughs> more than that I haven't read uh that. you know and uh uh but I, yeah i guess saying like I, I just find that they made the like i i get your concern about the oh you know we didn't get it to focus on the world quite as much in the movie but again it was a test of the park you know we didn't really yeah you know, something went wrong it's like the movie doesn't work i think and i actually if you look at a lot of the diaries and the making of books of this they they had more stuff with that that they just kept cutting and cutting as they because it's like you know it takes too much of the focus away it's like the pacing would be off because it is it is still kind of a a, th- a bit of a thriller movie. You can't keep slowing the movie down. It is, it
1: is a very tight movie. It, it has does, to it, move it, it keeps ahead. moving. It does keep moving. I won't and give I think what
4: they do when they have a chance, they go and they do explore the world a little bit. I think a lesser movie probably wouldn't have included like those scenes in the tree with just the kids and stuff like that. So I think it does it does a little bit of all of that. You know, you did get to see the world a bit, but I think I think they did the best job they could. I think they took everything in the book that really mattered. Um, but I think even the stuff like the subtext in the book and stuff, I think it's almost stronger in the movie because it's a movie because it has. There's almost like there's this whole other kind of um, I don't know like a Hollywood kind of big business satire. I think that's a little stronger in the movie than it is in the book. The book seemed kind of very anti scientists and like that's well that's certainly in the movie. I, I think it goes even further and it kind of expands into all this other stuff. But um, but yeah, that, that's kind of my history before going on any tangents. Let everybody else go first.
3: Okay, then do you want to go, or I, I can go? I don't uh, know.
5: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to go. I mean, um, go for it. I have a very clear memory of my first encounter with this film. It was long before it was it was out, there, and I'd never heard of the book, and I uh, was reading an Empire magazine, and it said uh, Steven Spielberg's next project is going to be the uh, dinosaur uh, adventure thriller, blah, 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 Jurassic Park. And I remember thinking what a fucking terrible name for a film. Jurassic Park. <laughs> Who the hell is going to go and see a film called Jurassic Park? And it turns out, everybody. So, uh, so that it, for some reason that I, that I thought that and then was proved so spectacularly wrong, um, you know, it, it stuck very clearly in my mind. And I remember, uh, as we were just talking about, uh, Judgment Day. And uh, I went to see that with a few friends and, and walked I remember walking from the the cinema back to the car and being totally blown away all four of us just kind of wandered sort of dumbstruck to the uh, to the to the to the car and because of you know the T1000 being so like, not anything we'd ever seen before. Going to see this had a similar kind of experience coming out. I was just like those dinosaurs were there they were just. They were there, you know, and it was it was a great thing. And I don't remember seeing. Obviously, it was a sort of pre uh, sort of spoilers world we lived in back then, and and, and you, you could get to go and see a film and not really have seen much about it. And I'd seen a couple of the trailers, I guess, but it was all kind of happening in 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 the theatre when I was watching the movie, which was fantastic. You know, to get that kind of um, to get it all in in that first shot and watching it again this week. Um, when they're in the jeep and they see there the brachiosaurs, And it was, it was, and this is the kind of stuff that Spielberg does so well, is like he shows you the character having the reaction you're about to have. And then the camera turns around 180 and he shows you the dinosaurs and the whole theater just goes, and their mouths, you know, drop. And, it was, I, and all, all that said, I mean, it was a great, uh, fun film and I, I watched it. And then I, to be honest, I don't think I've watched it since. Uh, certainly not all the way through. And there were. And I, I think I went to see the next two in, in the cinema too. But I mean, because I was, you know, well, so much older than, than uh, you guys uh, when you saw it, it was. Uh, it wasn't that it wasn't like like when i went to see star wars i was four when i went to see star wars you know and that kind of like turned my world upside down you know um and i can imagine if if if, if you were that kind of age when you saw this movie it would be the movie that would get you interested in cinema you know um, that was actually
4: thing when i was watching that was the that was the closest movie of like you know proximity i could think of with star wars for the phenomenon because yeah. if for people yeah my, my age and younger yeah it kind of is it is our star wars yeah, I think. it is
5: Oh, yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, sure. And, um, mm. and it was... Thank <laughs> you. Well done. Um, mm. Yeah, no, it was... <laughs> it, it was... Uh, yeah, I mean, and it was huge, and it was... I mean, it, I remember at the time watching it at the time, and the, the great shot in the uh, uh, Hammond is eating the ice cream, and there's a sort of panning shot around all the merchandise, and you could literally walk from the cinema uh, having seen that merchandise on the shelves in the movie, to seeing it in toy shops in the mm-hmm. town, is, not uh, unlike
4: in Ghostbusters, it's the same thing.
5: Well, yeah, yeah, and uh, but that's you know quite rare. Do you know what I mean? Very, um, and but the, the actual items, not just like figures of, which obviously that happens with Star Wars and blah blah blah. But you know they had the like the, the lunch the lunch boxes are in the movie. Do you know what I mean? And that's that's bizarre. That's kind of. Uh, Almost uh, meta, isn't it? Um, and it's uh, yeah. So that, that was kind of that was intriguing as well. But like I say, not uh, not a film that's um, that had a massive impact on me. Um, I enjoyed it at the time, and then but you know it's a popcorn film, and you know you eat it and you forget it kind of thing, and you move on. And that was kind of what it was. For me. It wasn't. Uh, although the effects were great, and the use of. Animatronics and CGI was so cleverly done and not really spoken about at the time. It, was, it wasn't until a little while later that then people started saying, well, you know, of course, Stan Winston did all this work on it and, and you were sort of led to believe that a lot more of it was CGI than it actually was, which is obviously, of course, you know, Totally, what Spielberg does, and is very clever, um, and and makes you think, wow, this stuff's incredible. That that dinosaurs, you know, the T Rex's head when he came right up to the window, and you know, wow, it looked like it was really there. Yeah, it was, you know. But the, but the, it's still some of the most seamless segues between. That's not actually that's not actually CGI.
4: true, though. Actually, like ninety percent of what you see with the dinosaurs is CGI. Really? Yeah. They they designed but pretty much everything originally before they were going to go in to shoot it they were only going to use like two scenes we're supposed to have some CGI i think that was all it was supposed to do. um but then when Spielberg actually saw it on the what what it actually they could do um, he decided that every, every time pretty it's much every time more, you see it yeah. anytime you see a full dinosaur with the exception of like once or twice in the T-Rex um, it's all CGI actually
5: yes when you yeah, yeah yeah when you see when you see the full when you obviously when you see the the, the full beast but uh, i mean i, I, I still remember i watching it uh, this and it was great because often when you know i re-watch films for for these uh podcasts i'm sort of scrolling myself away to watch this watch something in, in preparation you know um and uh i don't i don't own jurassic park it's not one that i have in my collection and um i was kind of uh asking around to see if anyone had it so i didn't you know save me i'm to buy it and my friend's cousin is about your kind of age and um, nephew, rather, is about your kind of age, and he had it and had grown up on it. And he, him and his little brother used to watch it over and over and over and over and over again. And so, um, they they lent me some very well worn um DVDs. And um, and my my pal said, Well, we'll just come around, come around, and we'll watch it together, it'll be great. And watching a film like this with someone else, um, and watching a film in preparation for this with someone else is a very interesting experience, you know, because you kind of get swept away with it a bit more and, uh, and he's kind of an excitable viewer of stuff, you know, he kind of gets involved, you know, and that was fantastic to watch it with someone else and it, and, and, and like, it was kind of like my previous experience of it being, being watching it in, in, in the movie theatre and one thing that really pointed out you talking about being scared as well I was, I was, as I say, I enjoyed it in the scenario I wasn't massively affected by it but there was one moment that totally totally got me and it's, it's Jurassic Park's Equivalent of the head falling out of the bottom of the boat.
3: Ah, when, you're when, going to steal it from me.
5: When they're in the well, it might be a different moment. We don't know. Uh, when they're um, in the uh, in the kitchen with the circular window, and the, the Velociraptor's head comes up, and it suddenly breathes out and it goes, whoosh, and steams up the glass for the foot I mean, You know, they do it a couple of times later, but that's the first time it does it. That I left my. I did an Allen. I totally. I, <laughs> what <laughs> <laughs> kind of, well, you got
3: extremely fit very quickly you
5: mean <laughs> and, and, um, and you know just about i mean i don't think anyone else in, in the cinema it kind of affected them as much as as it did me that one particular moment and um, i was uh, kind of he was just a lone squeal in the darkness from me when that happened but, it was, <laughs> 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 but you know, it's was great and, uh, you know, and, and, and another sort of uh, parallel to Jaws. I mean, there are lots of parallels to Jaws kind of in this film, I think. But the, the sort of prequel, you know, not pre-qu- the prequel, the pre-sort of credit kind of bit where, where the guy gets eaten right at the beginning with Bob Peck is yeah. um, put the guys in the thing, which I'd completely forgotten about. I'd totally forgotten that sequence. So we talked about when the girl is swimming at the beginning of Jaws and she gets grabbed from un- underneath the water by the... Uh, shark, obviously, and gets dragged sideways, and what an alien kind of movement that is, and how disturbing that is, and he does exactly the same thing in this film. You know, the guy, his foot gets caught, or whatever it is, and he gets dragged in, and they're trying to put him out, and, put him in, blah, 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 blah. and he gets suddenly, suddenly shoots up in the air about four feet, and and it's exactly the same kind of uh, movement, and it uh, has the same effect of that kind of weird alien movement and or unusual movement, and that makes you go, "Ooh, that's something creepy in there. That's something that's that's something unusual in that box." And it's and it just sort of made me kind of ah. Oh. And then you see without you know without Matt Neidell, I wouldn't have thought of I wouldn't have, well I wouldn't have watched Jaws again recently probably, and and so. Uh, you know, that kind of parallel. Thought, oh, that's interesting. That's a little kind of, that,
4: that opening <laughs> scene in particular, I think is pretty brilliant because um, if you apply the, the kind of the, what the, prestige, the movie, the prestige, because the movie, the prestige is really, it's about magicians, but it's really about the movie industry. And if you were to take that idea that they say about the three act structure being like a magic trick, um, you could, you could apply it perfectly to this movie because it does the same thing. It shows you that first scene is perfect because it shows you right off the bat, this park is not safe. This is a stupid idea. And, like, you know, nobody should come to this island. They should shut it down. They should kill all these dinosaurs. Like, this guy <laughs> should be thrown in jail. Right off the bat, it's the first scene they show you. So the right, th- right when you're going in, you're uncomfortable. You're uncertain of what this is. And you just know you want to get out of there. But then the movie it plays trick on you because it takes you along like someone with um, it's kind of placing you in Grant or you know or or Ellie Sadler. It's, you're you're a reasonably intelligent person. You're going and they're coming. They're telling you, oh, there's this park full of dinosaurs, and they go, you know, oh, that's that's ridiculous or whatever. All right, whatever. But they they say, you know, there's real dinosaurs. It's like, all right, well, I gotta kind of check this out, don't I? And they go there and you're kind of swept up in all this stuff and all the spectacle of this park that like you like Grant are almost buying into this whole thing you're like this is not such a bad idea and it's like and you're there and then you're on this ride and then shit goes wrong and then you remember oh yes <laughs> i knew this is going to happen it's like you get so swept up you get like you had mentioned the same thing like the shot where you see sees the brachiosaur for the first time it's like you're having the same reactions they are and you kind of have the same they kind of they, they don't have that first scene but they they know well enough that you know it's probably not a good idea you know to have dinosaurs living with people but they go anyway against their better instinct. And I, I actually the thing I noticed the most when I watched the movie, I'm like, yeah, I got totally swept up in this island. I kind of just forgot about that terrible vision we saw at the beginning of the film. But yeah, actually, it's 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 kind of a kind of clever. Spielberg that's that's his that's his thing. I think that's what he likes to do. he likes to he likes to get you just as surprised as his characters. I think.
1: And if we want to drop another reference to get this our Matt and Adel's in jokes out of the way, the opening credits it's Blade Runner. The big pounding yes, bass with the blast <laughs> yes, and the yeah. word popping up. I watched it. I'm just like, God, it's in this movie too. It's in this movie too.
0: But with uh, with what uh, Joey just said, I think that's why I like um, Jeff Goldblum's character of Doctor e- Doctor Ian Malcolm so much. Because during the whole time, even though some of the stuff may be cool, he's totally against it.
4: But you will acknowledge that what's something if something is cool, though, and that's
0: what I kind of like about that. Oh, oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. But he has some of the coolest lines in the movie, though. Fairly alarmed here. Mm -hmm. Or or, or speeches in the movie, in my personal opinion, especially Mm. the the one scene where uh, he talks about the um, problem with scientific power and basically how it's patent you know, these people that have the technology now and the power now have taken stuff from the past. And basically, just patented, it, packaged it up, and slapped it on a plastic lunchbox, and now you're selling it. I I, I love that speech. Um if trust me, if I if I can remember it line for line, I, I you know you I would. You were pretty much there, man. It the <laughs> they didn't <laughs> but, think but, uh, if
4: they whatever yeah. They only thought if they could. They didn't think if they should. Whatever. That's the
2: shoulders. There you go. There You, yeah. go. you know, but, but actually, like.
4: Malcolm is cool because I think Spielberg actually finally made a scientist or kind of skeptic character kind of the cool guy. I think that, like, after that, you saw more of that in a lot of movies because before that, it was always the guy that's like, oh, what a stick in the mud, or whatever. But he's, he's just as much of a stick in the mud, but he's still kind of cool. He's like the coolest guy there.
0: Well, what's funny is, is that well, as far as the whole stick in the mud thing goes, yet like Dr. Malcolm might be a stick in the mud, but so is, um, but so is um Dr. Uh, Dr. Grant. He's kind of a stick in the mud too. Uh, and I think so, but then granted, that's more from an aspect of not from a, you know, a paleontologist aspect, but from not really liking kids because you know he doesn't want to ha- have that responsibility. He he he'll take it. Because the kids are in danger and everybody's lives are in danger, he'll take it. But he's kind of a stick in the mud from that spot too, because that interrupts his game. You know, that interrupts what he wants. But once again, Spielberg always finds a way to capture those moments in like the most you know dire situations, like with Dr. Alan Grant and the two kids up in the trees. Like like you had said before, he did the same thing in Jaws. You know, you know, in Jaws, The
4: table scene and stuff like that. And-
0: yes, and when he gave his son a hug. And his son said, you know, what was that for? And, um, and uh, Schneider said, I needed that. You know, those, those types those types of things. So, you know, Spielberg is good in, in getting those moments of, like, levity before he throws you back into the depths of hell. So, um, no, no. I, I just wanted to chime in on that.
4: That's no problem. That's what you're here for. Right? <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, oh my, my fault. The one thing I forgot to mention, though, also from the aspect of Jurassic Park toy line-wise, think about it. This was the first toy line based off of a movie that was that was successful since like '86, uh, um, and once again through Kenner, Star Wars went through Kenner. The real Ghostbusters toys were a big hit from eight from you know from eight starting in '86, but after that you didn't really have a toy line based off of a movie that was a success until Jurassic Park, once again by Kenner. So, I mean, yeah, there were toys and Actually, after there.
4: this, every movie then started having a toy line that was, uh, you know, at least they could turn a profit off of. Like mm. Independence Day had, a, like, a toy oh. line and, like, all this yep. other stuff. <laughs> you can actually get a really, like, ripped up with, like, Muscles Jeff Goldblum action figure. <laughs> that <laughs> That's awesome. Kind
2: of... <laughs> I didn't have that. A... Oh, but yes, Matt, before we
4: get off topic, Matt, uh, do your history because I don't want to forget about you.
3: Oh, okay. I think my, my kind of history with it would be... Um, I I saw a clip of it when Barry Norman um, used to host uh, Film 90, whatever the year was, over here in the UK. And he closed out the show. It was kind of around the time when when I was really um, getting interested in cinema. But it it was still very much kind of the PG-13, Indiana Jones, Back to the Future and that kind of stuff. And kind of ascended into... um, Taxi driver <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. So I was still, I was, still, you know, it was still just fun cinema as opposed to, you know, looking for edgy stuff. But um, I remember watching film ninety, must have been ninety two or ninety three, and and uh, Barry Norman introducing this clip, and it was exactly that clip, Vern, where the uh, Velociraptor snots on the window and does his and does his thing, um, and I then went into school the next day, and in art class. I told a good friend of mine, Lee, uh, who we just sort of, we were exactly on par with all, all of our film kind of tastes. Uh, we, we would always, in art, we would always be drawing, you know, uh, HR Giga aliens and predators and um, T2 was like the talk of the classroom. And I said, I saw this clip. It looks amazing. It looks like those really claustrophobic um, scenes from Alien. It, it you know it looks like you know all those scenes from alien where they you know where um Lance Hendrickson is crawling through um crawling through like um ventilation shafts and there's lots of silver and stuff and it just felt like alien um and I said this is going to be good and no one else saw it so it was kind of oh yeah and a lot of people uh, I just remember a lot of the guys were kind of yeah 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 we'll we'll you know we'll see we'll see what happens and then I uh, I think I I was watching the news and I saw a clip from the UK premiere, and it was kind of a woman outside the the big cinema standing in front of one of the big green, yellow, iconic trucks, the ones that run on the electric rail. And they had one put outside the cinema. And I remember just thinking, that truck looks really cool. The logo looks really cool. And it just kind of made me think about not gimmicks, but it just made me, you know, uh, for me, Back to the Future is the DeLorean, the skateboard and lightning. And in my brain, if I see any of those things, I think back to the future um, and I get very nostalgic about it. And Spielberg has this knack of kind of hooking you in with these little iconic in, images and, and, and stuff that he can sell as toys, I suppose. But I I went to see it with my dad on a Saturday afternoon and we we just had an absolute blast and we both jumped. And it wasn't the scene where the, um, the Velociraptor blew his nose. It's the scene where the woman goes to what is it I suppose she goes to power up the power station um, and the arm falls on her shoulder, and then the velociraptor jumps at the kind of the, the big wire mesh fence behind her and we both jumped and popcorn went everywhere and, and yeah polarity ensued I think I was probably a li- I was probably a little bit too old at that point for the kind of the toys I remember them being around they were all over well the uh, chain of Woolworths at the time um, which would have been the sort of the I suppose the you can get toys and CDs and pretty much anything at this shop shop in the UK and and I just remember the the uh, shelves being lined with that stuff went to see the second one probably with my dad I would have thought but it wasn't overly impressed and then of course the third and I think I've revisited the third more than I have any of the it's other ones in, the second in, kind of,
2: one. That's
3: why. in kind of recent history just because people <laughs> keep saying no 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 I've I'm, I'm actually got quite an affection for the third one but the first film will always be for me exactly as we, you know, that's where I was going to go with it. It's it's one of those groundbreaking movies like T2. Um, I think T2 was probably a bigger film for me, but I think it was probably because I was a little bit further along at that point and I was just big into James Cameron stuff and Predator and that kind of, the kind of sci-fi stuff. But no, it was, it was a huge film for me, but it will always remind me, always, when, when I see anything to do with Jurassic Park, it will be me walking into art class and saying I saw this clip of this film and none of you because believe me um, <laughs> that it would be that good and it was so it was such a joy for me to then be in that class about six weeks later when everyone had seen it and everyone go you know you you're actually quite right but yeah, it was it was cool it was fun um i watched it with um with joe i watched it with my son um the day before yesterday um and he'd seen it he probably saw it about a year ago and he's uh, obsessed with t-rexes he loves t-rexes good man. um he he does know about the the spinosaurus, and he also knows about the what's the other one in between the T Rex and the spinosaurus? I can never remember, Megasaur or whatever it's called. There's another dinosaur, and he, yeah, he me- he's, me-
4: Megalosaurus.
3: Megalosaurus, yeah, he's got this. He's got this fascination with finding out about something that it, it'll always be. Um, who would be, you know, if, oh, no, no, if it, was a, it's,
4: it's Allosaurus. That's yeah. it.
3: Yeah. Is it? Okay. Yeah, I think weird. he thinks it's a Megasaurus or something. It's a Megasaurus
4: um, too, but it's a smaller it's a dinosaur,
3: believe. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, he's always got this um, thing, and its it, I would have been exactly the same at that age, which is um, who would win in a fight between... You know, we've always... Everyone does that. Um, to the point where I was watching Jungle Book with him today, and Shere Khan was on the screen at the same time as an elephant, and he said, who would win between a tiger and, <laughs> <laughs> and, an, and an elephant? It's <laughs> kind of... I don't know. I have no idea, but hey you know you have a child's brain and i envy you i wish i could go back and and and, you know be be that way again but it's so much fun watching him try to finish a bowl of cereal or even start a bowl of cereal at the point at which the goat's leg gets chucked onto the top of the car because you can't do anything else but just be absorbed by that scene and and enjoy everything about it whether it's you know the animatronic claw popping over the you know the fence to the the just the the weight you, you, you feel the weight of the T-Rex as it walks casually like he's not got a care in the world through that deactivated electric fence and starts ripping apart those cars. It, it's such an amazing scene. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm astounded at how many people don't get references from that film. Really? You know, like the, the cups of water. Yeah, yeah. But then again, you know, there's none strangers focus there. Uh, <laughs> but then again, I'm strange like that. If somebody's computer breaks down at work or someone says, oh, every time I go near a computer, it breaks down. And I'll say, oh, like the guy from Jurassic Park, they have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> or if an extraordinarily large lady walks into the room and I say, hey, my coffee was jumping. Nobody knows what I'm talking about.
0: Uh, <laughs> but, but, when, but when the power goes out in the building, you don't send the black dude over to go turn the power back on. Right. <laughs> no. No. Yeah. Never, never. Because the you
3: it our power, the basement is is in the basement and usually that gets flooded and we keep a shark that swims backwards down there. And and Sammy Sammy and, and dinosaurs and sharks have a have a history, so we can't for either we can't send him in. But uh yeah. Speaking
4: it, of it's, that scene though, um, where Samuel L. Jackson does go to the power thing, uh, that's always usually cited as a um, like a goof, like a technical error, because they say, like, "Oh, how could he have killed? Like the how like the the raptor just came in. How could he have killed the guy?" Actually, now that I just watched it though, I noticed actually that actually it's actually a creepier scene, because the raptor's there the whole time. It's just waiting.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's
4: letting her get the idea that oh she's done something successful. She she's got the power on. She everything's gonna be safe. But actually, it was just waiting there the whole time, yeah. waiting for like the right moment. Another, so actually, yeah, like stuff like another, that.
1: Another technical goof, though. I didn't know. I, I've noticed it before. And I kind of. I just want to ask you, what you think of it? Maybe there's an explanation for it. But the T. The T. Rex, like enclosure, when you first see it, like he's standing on ground, and then obviously later when the car goes over, like the you know it goes into this great freaking depth, it goes off this cliff. Was that a technical goof? Because I mean. You know what I mean? Like that's Wait,
4: what did, wait what did you say? Okay,
1: when the T Rex is in the cage, it's walking on ground, level ground right there, correct? And then yeah. the car goes over this cliff, which I took as the inside of the T Rex cage.
4: No, it, it it turns the car around and pushes it.
1: Ah, okay. Because I, I always wondered about that. I was like, Well, why where'd this cliff come from? But okay, good. Here we go. Yeah,
4: because hmm. if you notice, um they enter on the opposite side when they come in the truck later on to come and she goes, Oh, the car has gone off the cliff. They're on the other side of the road
2: Okay.
3: See, I now I want to go back in time and watch Alec play with his dinosaurs as a kid, and he has a flying T-Rex. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't think I noticed it when
3: I was like a little kid. It was oh, just kind of so recent cool. years, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I mean, just to, just to wrap up, it's um, I I one of the th- one of the things that I did that I've always quite liked about it is it's got traits of. It, I mean, it, without a doubt, it's got traits of horror. Um, it has. Um, You know the the jumps and the the little set pieces, but it also has. If if you watch um if you watch any sort of classic horror film, like if you watch a a Friday the Thirteenth or you watch um, anything like that, you watch anything like that, you'll always have. Um, you know the camera panning across something at the beginning of the film that will reoccur later and probably be used as a weapon whether it be a rake that's been left in the garden that someone's going to fall on or, or or something like that and right at the beginning of the film when alan grant is attempting to scare the chubby kid who says it looks like a 10 foot turkey and he goes through that little i don't know he does that dramatization of this is what happens you're alive when they eat you and this is how you know the hunt is going to go down you know that you know half an hour before the end you're going to see that scene but it's not cheesy it's not corny it works perfectly and there are little tip-offs all the way through the movie like that and it felt it feels very much like a film that's respectful of its audience without patronizing it but knows that the audience is there for a blockbuster and knows that they're along for the ride. Uh, it, little things like that fascinate me. I, I, lo- I just love it. I think it's a, a great movie, and it's such fun watching watching my kid enjoy it as well. And was, his serial was, this went this completely kind of the, soggy as well. He didn't finish his serial.
4: <laughs> <laughs> this movie is kind of, I guess, like yeah, one of the last of that. Like, because I, I to me, like Spielberg was kind of the he's like the last director still kind of standing from that tour era that ended kind of in the 70s so like it's still like that's why i look at it to me it's like yeah like you said it's like a perfect blockbuster movie because like yeah. you say it's not a dumb it's, it's movie. not at
1: all it's smart and
4: um and it's like but that's because spielberg's making it and like the kind of like intelligent directors that really know what they're doing are in control like they don't really make stuff like this anymore it's like they, they they're off doing other stuff it's like you know it's like a, and then there's someone of a resurgence now you know like chris nolan is doing like big movies and stuff now but it's like they don't. It was like you could just go to a movie back then. And it was a blockbuster, but you didn't. You didn't expect it to be dumb. And it's like now you do. It's like a common thing. Oh, it's going to be dumb.
1: And that's why. I at least at it science. didn't insult
4: my intelligence that much, you know. Mm. And I think like, um, yeah, like you said, this movie. I don't get that at all. It's, it's it's perfectly, you know, the movie works. Its internal logic works for the most part, and it's it's good. There's good characters. There's good moments. There's good subtext. Like, I, I, it's a great movie.
1: Exactly. I look yeah. at this, and I look at Transformers 2, and I just kind of cry
4: it's just like why was this but like when how did we get to that point like where that's well, the thing know. you know like i oh. where people just are oh it's okay to be stupid like when did that happen
2: like I, well, that's a whole other
5: argument because well, people stupid. keep going to see them and people accept yeah. it don't they you know it's you no know, it, it the, the way to not get another transformers film is to not go and see the one that's out now mm.
0: well what i find funny about that though vern is this though as much for, as for as much money as tf2 made even Michael Bay has said, "Yeah, we, you know, we really screwed up some things here." So I promise you a much better film. And I'm like, "Wait a minute! You've made all the, you know, you made all this money, and you recognize this from the jump that this movie isn't what it should be, and, and you're trying to fix it fine, but that still baffles me too." But I feel this is just a personal opinion. If you think about it, go back to 1993. Um, we had not hit the age of the mega multiplex cinema boom. Okay. When we hit things like in the mid to late 90s with the um, introduction of the mega movie plexes just booming everywhere with like, you know, 10, 15, 20 screens, you had these just go everywhere. Because, you know, everybody thought, oh, everybody's going to make money off of this. Everybody's going to get rich. You know, well, not everybody has money to go see movies every single damn day. So then these movie theaters were losing money left and right. And so they had to like, you know, find ways to bring in additional revenue, and one of those ways was commercials and stuff like that. Then you start to have like, you know, these cineplexes start to like fade away a little bit, but then they started demanding more from the studios to get people into the theaters. And so and now this, this is where you have that conflict, that art versus commerce conflict. And so now you're starting to get more commerce over art because they're just constantly trying to fill seats. It's not about the quality of the film as much as it is trying to fill seats nowadays, too. I think. I mean, that's just theory.
4: And, and it's, it's also good. like hitting that threshold. Like it's every every year, you gotta have something at that level. Right. You gotta rush them out every year. Like because, Jurassic Park was in pre-production since 1989. Right. You know, it's it, they, they took their time. Like it was no, they didn't. You didn't rush a good director. You let them just do what they did.
0: Exactly, and like that,
4: you said, like in some ways, Spielberg is responsible for both, like both of those eras <laughs> ending, because it was like there was a, like he did Jaws, and Jaws was the first like big blockbuster film like that, and that's kind of mm. when you started seeing studios start creeping in and stuff, and say, no, oh, we need to do stuff like that. We need to just keep remaking. Like that's where re- that's where sequels started. That you know, remi- more and more remakes started. Like I said, we talked about in the Blade Runner episode. That was one of the first movies that kind of suffered under that, where they weren't giving. They were starting to take. Too much control away, and they were directors weren't getting final cut anymore. And and then you go to this film, and this film again is like you said, it's that next next level of blockbuster filmmaking. Um, and then yeah. now everybody's got to try and get to this level constantly every year, and we've kind of been in that ever since. And,
5: and, yeah, and, I guess and, you're
0: right about that. And that's yeah, amazing. it's like that's a major problem. Oh, go
5: ahead, go ahead, no, no, so it's, it's something that Joey said when we were talking about Jaws is that uh, you know, what people took from Jaws, it seems. Was you know you need to have a uh, a big film in 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 the summer that uh, that sells lots of tickets rather than let's make a really good film and that's and you know and 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 that's kind of what Spielberg as you were just saying Spielberg did it again you know he was like he makes this film admittedly the year after T two had done the big sort of CGI thing but it's it's like uh, he's part of that kind of little wave there and what people got from it wasn't. This is a really well-crafted film with a great uh, set of characters and an interesting story from a, from a solid source. What they got from it was, oh yeah, CGI things. People like CGI things. Put them in stuff. So, which leads us, which you know, leads us to Avatar and um, and, and Transformers too. You know, you know, where you where you have this mess of of CGI nonsense, you know, being sicked up on you by the screen um for two hours and and you know why what what is it with with hollywood that they that uh they they aren't sort of seeing that what makes the the great films great is never the the gimmick it's never you know um it's it's, it's never the 3d or or the cgi or, or the uh or the costume or whatever it is it's it's the story and it's the characters and that's it's it's ironic that this huge wheel of 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 desperately trying to make more and more money and the thing that makes the money truly makes the money is the thing that costs practically nothing which is the time it takes to make a make a good story and and to to craft a script you know and it's it's invariably the cheapest part of the film is is what they pay the writer and it's 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 bizarre that that we can sit here um, in our various years and see that that's the way to go and that the people who actually make the films can't quite grasp it.
4: Yeah. Well, there's no incentive to change, though, because they continue to make
5: yeah,
4: that money. You know, it's yeah. like, it, <laughs> it's like yeah, you know,
2: that's, that's,
1: that's what I think. I think probably most of them do see the problem, but they, again, it's kind of like, well, we got to do this. This is how you make money. The last you time really people thought that,
4: that was going to happen was in 2008 with Dark Knight. People were like, oh, now the audience, like, there was a big thing. Where people said, oh, now the audiences are demanding smarter, uh, you know, smarter action movies, smarter comic book movies, whatever, smarter blockbuster entertainment. Um, and then that was all squashed next year because Transformers Two like made the most money, you know. It was like so. It's like they there was a chance. It seemed like there was a window there, or maybe things might have changed. But even then, the studios again didn't take the but we might right lesson from we that. Might see it again. Well, I mean, of course,
5: Well, you know, yeah. The problem is, of course, that that uh, like you said, you know, this movie was in pre-production for four years. It's it's difficult to. to it's easy to jump on a bandwagon and make something that's crap. And it's difficult Just when the when the bandwagon is, let's make something that's quite finely crafted and is good, because that all takes time. You know, yeah. you need to be on you need to be on the wave and on the wheel before it's happened. You know, if two years before Dark Light came out, everyone was thinking, Yeah, we should make better films. Why do we, why don't we make better films? Then you would have had a raft of really well written, big films coming out. <laughs> well,
4: unfortunately there was a writer's strike. <laughs> I mean,
5: well, yeah, works. there you go, you see. <laughs> oh, and, also, um, and I think the thing about, sorry, the, the thing about uh, the Sean was saying about Michael Bay apologizing, I mean, I think that's more to do with the climate we live in now as sort of this kind of weirdly, uh, because everything is is overanalyzed on the internet, you know, there's, there's this kind of weird faux contrition that, that people go through like Tim Kring and the second series of, of, of heroes you know it's like oh I'll apologize and, and then people will be placated and, and then they'll they'll you know drink the same bile John Favreau did the
4: same thing with Iron Man the ending he said like, oh yeah it was really bad we'll try better next time and yeah, they
2: did the same fair. ending anyway <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah.
5: uh, but, yeah, but this time we had Mickey Rourke's head on it you know and, and for, for Michael Bay to have the gore to say oh yeah sorry for making a big like dumb movie and and for people to believe him is is ridiculous, you know. He, he's done nothing but make loud, big, dumb movies. Some of which were cool, you know. Some so you know some 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 of his movies was, was you know bad boys was, a was cool.
2: What's
5: <laughs> <are> you gonna <laughs> do? Um, <laughs> <laughs> and the when they sadly made bad boys. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> 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 um, just to piss on it, yeah. Well, you know, the idea that movies used to be made because. Uh, it was, it, you know, because they wanted to um, edify the nation is is crap, you know. Films were only ever – it was always show business, you know, and that's the important part of that. You it's know? just that, the,
4: yeah, like the business is different because it used to be – yeah, the, nobody ever made a movie. Like, nobody goes into a – unless you're the director and you paid for everything, like, yeah, then maybe that's a different story. But no, yeah, nobody ever – like the movie business never went into. If they, the, the goal to make art is always make money, but it used to be if your movie was good, that was the one that made money. So they would stay out of people. Like I said, the whole landscape has changed. But yeah, I'm probably a little too off topic now.
0: And but on on that note, before we get back on topic, I also know this: when Jurassic Park came out, this was also before the era of studios thinking we have to have a big film out every single week. And that and that's a major problem that studios really have right now. I'm sorry. You just can't have a big movie out every well, think, week. It's not going to work. I think that's why
1: like we saw A-Team and even The Losers fail a little bit is I think people were just kind of taking for granted a lot of these big blockbusters that are coming out because there's so many of them, whereas you just mentioned like back in the day, it was kind of a special occasion when you had this huge sort of movie come out. Like if 2012 came out back in 1990, it probably would have made a lot more money because you know that was that was the one big movie for probably you know two years or whatever, you know what I mean? and everything else was smaller. And now it's like you just said, like every single weekend there's some big blockbuster. And I think people were just kind of getting uh, jaded with the whole thing, and that's why a lot of them I think it's recently are like doing Park well.
4: Stayed in the theater for like two years or something. Like now like you know
0: movies in for yeah
4: a movies out week after and a couple of and weeks, after weeks doesn't matter how out. much money it made yeah because you know?
0: oh, yeah. and, and just note that when Jurassic Park was out like it was like number one for like the first three or four weeks and it went up against like films like Cliffhanger <laughs> The Last Action Hero oh, and, and, oh. and and Sleepless in Seattle and it wasn't until The Firm came out that you know that Jurassic Park finally got trumped but those three films I mentioned you know were, were not really technically blockbusters but they had big names in them and you know they didn't make the money like if you took that money if they with those amounts that they made back then and you apply that to now those will all be considered flops but you know Jurassic Park was the only game in town for, for like for like 4 or 5 weeks everybody stayed away you know yeah. everybody else was just quote unquote counter programming but now everybody wants to try to go head and head, head to head and I'm like you're hurting yourself but um mm. that that I had to get that out before before I forgot. So oh, you're you're talking that's
3: my our- era now. That's that's <laughs> I mean I think didn't Indecent Proposal come out around that time
0: as well? Uh, maybe maybe later. I think it was a little earlier was,
2: actually.
3: I think it was like there was I just remember the firm and Indecent Proposal being two paramount movies that were I think maybe they sort of had video releases around the same time and, and that's where I'm getting that from. But Oh, can we do I, cliffhanger I, now?
0: Can we move on? To cliffhanger? <laughs> <laughs> I would like to say that that um, Bob Peck, who played a uh, Robert Muldoon, I thought he was the coolest dude <laughs> in that movie. Even even yeah. when the Raptors got him, I thought that dude was a badass. He, just, he had cool. that swagger.
1: He's, I still think he's up to Malcolm. I still think he's one of the, like the coolest person in that movie. Hmm. my opinion whenever he's on screen i'm just like oh this guy's awesome i just want to watch him I yeah, again he's another
4: guy time. that completely doubted everything right from the start because if you watch yeah. that raptor scene it's actually really funny he like
1: he knows he knows that he's like Get that the, whole, the fuck yeah, out of here he knows <laughs> that whole <laughs> island's going to crap like from the get-go that he's just sticking around and like when you know shit finally hits the fan he's like he's kind of prepared for it while everybody else is freaking out the I,
3: I, the, his scene, the scene that stuck out to me watching it back again this week was the um, when they go to the raptor feeding section where they're lowering yeah, the yeah, poor that's, cow that's... in, and he's just stood. And uh, Hammond says, "Oh, this is the guy, This is like our gamekeeper guy." And straight away, um, Grant walks up to him, and it's kind of, "You're clearly a kindred spirit." I'm just gonna go, "Oh, so um, what kind of speed do they go?" And he just reels off all of these facts so quickly, as cool as a cucumber. And uh, I don't know; those two are just vibing completely. And the other, the other lot of them are all kind of even, even. Um, I can never remember her name. Ellie. Anyway, the Volumil- woman with the enormous Alice nose. Alice. Nalu.
4: played by the lovely lord
3: she's <laughs> yeah she's just not she's just not in that gang and those two are just riffing off each other with their kind of top trumps dinosaur facts uh i, I love that scene absolutely love that scene and of course it finishes up with him kind of telling him how smart they are and how they're attacking the electric well, fences. i think
4: that's it's the difference between um muldoon and and grant is like they actually respect the the creatures um, like that's a, that's a big thing I noticed in that scene. Like he's telling them, he's like, you know, these things. This is it. Like all the traps you have set up, they've kind of already, you know, they've kind of already mastered everything already. They're looking to take over, and you know, they're all like, ah ha ha. You know, that's not going to happen. And he's like, well, you know, wait and see because it looks like it's on the way. Like he's really clearly warning everybody in that scene, and it's like everyone just keeps going on. Oh, you know, it's, I always thought it was funny that the raptor cage two was open, like open on the top.
2: So
3: they could have figured out yeah, how they they could get jumped. out because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if the fed this the <laughs> they were birds they could have uh, turned into birds yeah their ability the to fly, yeah. <laughs> ability well, to fly yeah,
5: they are have just fly, fly yeah Bob Peck we have to say it, it, it is fantastic in this film I and mean, he's uh, and it's it's a, he's a British actor you know and and, and his uh, his choice of, of accent is just fantastic because he's even though you you know you, get, you totally uh, you know get how cool he is and how on his game he is, his voice is this kind of odd kind of whiny kind of Australian accent and it's and it's it's kind of he hasn't gone for the uh, oh, I'm really tough and hard kind of Aussie deep la 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 you know it's kind of this odd kind of reedy. High pitched kind of voice. That's it's very strange. It's a really, really cool sort of decision to have made as an actor. Is that you know the character, and he's and and he's in shorts. You know, he spends the whole film in shorts as well. Do you know what I mean? It's (laughs) just like on no level should he be cool, but he's such a good actor. He knows that the character will carry all that kind of ridiculousness, and 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 will just totally see it right right through. And and um, it's. yeah, I think it's a fan, and one of his last performances as well. He died quite young, Bob Peck, and it's his, uh, it's a it's a great great performance. I think one of the one of the I think one of the best in the film.
3: He he would be the, one of the best supply teachers ever. You would just listen to everything he had to say. Of course, if you had that shotgun with the foldy bit on it. That would be good. But <laughs> yeah, he was very very cool.
5: Yeah, I'm not a big l- quota of lines from movies. I know some people kind of have the ability to just memorize his tracks from movies and I don't really have that I don't really do that I don't often like like Matt will uh, reference movies a lot dialogue and I don't really get uh, always get that because I, I don't memorize them in, in that kind of way but his one line uh, his last line I think clever girl clever um, yeah, <laughs> It's totally, it's just one of those things that totally instantly dropped into my lexicon. I've been using it. ever I don't know if anyone ever gets the reference, but, um, but I, I, I use it all. I think all you the
1: said it once on all. this show, actually. I'm going to look for this. <laughs> I'm going to be like, I know what he means. <laughs>
2: I
3: think you just have to be careful where you use it, you know, um, like maybe if, it, if it's a uh, if it's a child's party or something, maybe maybe it, it might come across a little bit creepy. But
5: you know, <laughs> well, it depends one of the if other two dads, if one of the girls has distracted my attention and two others have crept up on either side and are about to throw put cupcakes, you in the nuts. In, in <laughs> which case,
2: clever <Play> girl. <laughs>
3: <What was that? laughs> uh, well, I think we t-
4: Oh, continue, Matt.
3: You know, no, carry on, Karen. Carry on.
4: Okay, I was say I always thought um one of the one of the really clever. Uh, moments in the in the movie, uh, one of the like, clever, really clever setup scenes in the movie is the um, the first scene where either, um Hammond is taking them through the park, uh, and they sit down to watch that movie. Um, that's basically telling you everything. Yeah. I thought that was really well set up because it actually, um, there you go. Now the audience knows all yeah. that information. And they kind of, it was the easiest way to get that out there without it just being exposition. Yeah, it doesn't feel they actually lazy. Make it, into this, it doesn't feel as, like, lazy at all. At all. It's exposition, oh, no. but it's, like, also this really nice kind of corporate satire of the whole thing. that You're kind of watching, yeah. like, the way they've made this theme park. And they, they've gotten, uh, what's his name, do <laughs> the voice and the... Uh, like, he's kind of, um... What is it? It's almost like they gave him, like, that kind of, like, hick. You know, they got like, some kind of hick voice to go on the thing so it can relate to the everyday man. It's yeah.
3: Really, that it's, it, it, stuff, it's, it's, it's like it's, you, half, <laughs> you half expected him to have Troy McClure walk yeah, on like, <laughs> right. so You I, may I remember stuff, you from uh, such movies. I
4: just thought that scene is just... that's a really nicely set-up scene. and I, I, That's the thing I noticed more upon rewatching it. Like, it really... It's a very strong corporate satire. And, um, it's... There's a lot of stuff that's... Like, it's like half the movie is funnier to me now than it was, and then half of it is more disturbing to me now than it was. Like, just, just the
1: one line that Hammond always uses spare no expense. I mean, it's, it's yeah. kind of all yeah, right yeah. there. I mean,
4: look at the
2: fleas, look at the fleas.
4: And uh, I, so, I, I, I thought the, the original intention for Hammond was uh, that he'd be the basically, he's basically the twisted side of Walt Disney. That's kind of what he was. And I think it's still there very much, but I think he, you know, um, I think Spielberg adds; I, he makes him a little—I don't know—relatable. You feel a little more sympathy for him. Like I think my it's favorite too scene, likely. my favorite scene in the whole movie is actually the one that Vern mentioned before, where you see all the toys and everything, and and they're they're just sitting there eating the ice cream. And um, it's the scene in the movie like uh, it, it's kind of where you really. You're, you think you don't really feel bad for him? For what he
1: was going for, and then you kind yeah, of and it's like you know, I kind of relate
4: to that more now when my life, where just like you know, he's he's just trying to grab onto yeah. that like wonder he felt when he was a kid, and um, you know, and it's like yeah, he is kind of this evil businessman too, but it's like it's like no, you know, his intention was always for this just to be the the most fun place on earth, like the place you you could see the thing I never thought I could see and. And it's I don't know as you get older, it's like I kind of I'm like I'm, you, you start to lose that wonder, and it just it, it, it just like, especially when I just watched it, it just it really kind of got to me. You know, just seeing this guy and he's just like so in denial, like he he still thinks after this, like he's just gonna make a few changes in this park and still work, and uh, you know it's just I don't know, it's just a great scene. It's yeah, it's probably it's, yeah, it's probably my favorite. Yeah,
5: and it's, scene. A, it's a great character as well, and he's 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 got that kind of uh, as you say that 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 wonder that childlike. Way of looking at things, and that kind of, in the way that children have a very sort of single-minded attitude towards things, and that's what it totally makes sense that that's what has put him in in the position he's in, that he's got that kind of single-minded drive, and um, like it's like uh, the guy who runs Virgin and you know, Richard Branson, he has that kind of. I mean, there's no doubt that Richard Branson is one, you know, hard ass businessman. But his public persona is of this kind of um, jocular, cool uncle um, who who you know never wears a tie and and goes hot air ballooning and and you know and Hammond is kind of like a, a mash of, of, of Branson and, and 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 Walt Disney and you know I don't know uh, some evil scientist from uh, like Doctor Frankenstein or something you know he's like a, he's a, he's, a, he's a mash of all those kind of. Those, those kind but, of see, the thing I think yeah, the film
4: does well is it doesn't it shows you that it lets you kind of get a window into him and relate to him and feel for him a bit but it doesn't it doesn't excuse anything he's done yeah. either it's that's, still that's
1: one of the most the last
4: things. image you see of him is of shame and like everyone's just kind of like look what you fucking did yeah. like you feel good about this now and it's like that's what they leave you with so I feel like because um, I, I read an interview with Crichton and he was saying like, oh, you know, they, they kind of that was one thing he felt like they, they were a little too nice on him. And I was like, no, I think that was the way it should have gone. I, I think that's almost worse to kind of get a window into this kind of childlike personality. But to see, you know, you still did all these terrible things. You're still responsible for all this.
1: I think you know? it's I think it's interesting, too. Like another thing I, will, I, I noticed rewatching it is the cane that he has with the piece of amber on it. And I just, I kind of thought that was like a nice symbol of just how he kind of easily wields this power that he has, this genetic power. It's kind of all, it all comes from that amber. And he just kind of, the way he just easily wields the cane kind of represents how easily he wields this great power that he has. I thought that was kind of a nice it's
4: symbol. It's very much, um, it. especially they dress him in like all ivory, white, and everything. And yeah. he has that yes. cane. It looks very much like the, um, like you'd see like those poachers, like the, the, the whoever would be running like the poachers that would come into Africa to take like. Yeah. Buy-ins to, or you know, elephants to make you know piano keys or whatever the hell they needed them for. They they would always look like that, and they'd always have the cane. And I kind of do like Mm -hmm. that, like having that ember as the head of the cane. It just shows his blatant disrespect for nature. Like he's taking control.
5: It colonial kind of intruder. You know, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Nature has to
1: support his weight. You know,
4: but at the same time, he kind of looks like an ice cream man. So it's like (laughs) (laughs) either way, it balanced it out. You know, pretty nicely. <gasps>
3: I, lo- I love sounds? how, um, yeah, Colonel kind of Sanders. I love how I, I just love how likable he still he still is. Like this, the scene with the, you know, where they're eating ice cream and he has that really nice, uh, almost Robert Shaw like monologue. Um, about the um, the flea circus, and he you know goes into the first person and says, "Look at the fleas, mummy," and he does all does all that stuff, and it's so touching. And um, the other moment where not he breaks character, but you've got that softer side is where he's looking at the monitors and jeff goldblum goes up to the screen and flicks the screen and says are we actually going to have dinosaurs on the dinosaur tour <laughs> and uh, and he, lo- he just looks at the he looks at the camera and he looks at the screen and I says hate i that hate that man <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
5: goldblum is so great in this film he's such yeah. a dick isn't he? when they opened disneyland in 1956 nothing worked yeah,
3: but John, if the Pirates of the Caribbean breaks down. The pirates don't eat the tourists. Brilliant. But with it, but he's got that smile on his face. He's got that kind of oh God, I really, you know, he he's just this l- really likable chap. Even when he's kind of sparring with with the hacker guy who who's moaning about Dennis his, his yeah, Paris. when he's he, he's he's kind of moaning about yeah, his yeah. um his finances and you know who who could run this place? Who could run eight servers? Oh my God, eight servers! You know, um, and he and he he he, he does he does the dad thing he does this step back from being a boss for a second but at the same time keeps it professional i love hammond I, i'd love to work for Hammond. And he, As long you
4: notice he gives like Nedry the, he, that keeps giving him the benefit of the doubt the whole time it's like yeah yes. and like mr arnold whatever samuel L. jackson he's kind of saying like don't trust this guy like don't let him <laughs> out of your sight and he just is like no, no no like you said he's almost like you get the idea that he there was some sort of father-son relationship there at some point and he just you know has complete confidence in uh I'm assuming he must have been the guy that helped build that system with him, so that's that why he has that connection with him. Mm. But yeah, I, I really—I also If you ever noticed, if you ever looked Nedry's computer system, he has a picture of Robert Oppenheimer on his uh, yeah, computer. Yeah, yeah. I was the, wondering. Little, I saw there's that. this little notepad with yeah. like a uh, like sticky note with an explosion on it. So it's like it's like oh, it was always there. It, it was a, kind of the hint that it was always going to happen. He was always going to destroy this park, and mm-hmm. I was kind of like that.
0: You know, what I find funny about about the whole Dennis Nedry character. I mean, the guy that was re- basically responsible for all this uh, carnage and mass destruction is that this you know this big guy gets taken down, <laughs> gets taken down from like by this like one of the smallest perceived you know dinosaurs on the island. You know, I, I, to me, I just find that to be be very funny because you know Nedry was like literally dismissing this dinosaur, and then. I don't know about you guys, I'll but I'll run you over cautious. when I come back down. <laughs> <laughs> when, <laughs> when like when like the dinosaur stupid. like you know opens up and opens up, I don't want to say it's like those flaps or whatever. It just like because it, it freaked me out because I didn't see it come. I'm like I know something bad's about to happen, but what's about to happen? Then when those you know the flaps open up and he hisses and then he spits out the uh, the substance uh, in his eyes. Yeah, this good. It's just awesome. I really like that scene.
3: Yeah, no, it's, he's he's a funny character. I love all the all those scenes in with him in it, where whether it's him finding it really really funny and gimmicky that he's got the shaving foam because um, he feels like he's doing something a bit naughty, a bit like a secret agent, um, and and the, the, right from. the the second he crashes the car picks up the sign spins the arrow as if to say i am now completely lost and you just know that that character is doomed in the second that (laughs) that that dinosaur pops up just like the other he doesn't respect the nature he doesn't
4: respect power Mm, uh, exactly but um actually uh what was i gonna say about that everyone always all right here's one thing i gotta set straight because everyone always brings this up and the movie says why it wouldn't work uh, is the is that can cuz like the can gets lost in the um the can with the embryos gets lost in the uh in the in park mud. in the mud. Yeah. And people always say, "Oh, why didn't they, you know, why why didn't the next movie have them going in like to search for it or whatever?" And I'm like specifically stated this?
3: of a- people that you've met that say this.
4: No, it's, it's always brought up in the sequel. Why in a sequel why didn't they go to get those cans well, so they can get the embryo? For one thing, thing
1: they went to a completely different island. But, yeah, keep going.
4: No, no, no. Even before there was a... Oh, just okay. right, yeah. just I throwing that. it out there, like, why wasn't the second movie about the search for that can or whatever? I'm like, well, first of all, the can wouldn't work. He, he specifically states he had, like, an hour or whatever to get that yeah, out of there. Were was only, the it, embryos was only the,
1: viable for, like, so many hours.
4: And now it's been stuck in mud. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's gone. It's gone. It's like, nobody's going to get it. But I was surprised because in the Jurassic Park 4 script, there actually was, someone had been sent in to... <laughs> Retrieve the cat, and I was like, "Come on, guys! <laughs> like, i are not doing me any
3: Give up the cat. Well, that they was special
5: dinosaur mud that 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 cam was. Now they'll
1: retrieve it. The mud like mutates these embryos, so you get yeah, mutant exactly. dinosaurs. Yeah.
5: Like yes. Dino turn soldiers. them into super soldiers. Yeah. Dino soldiers that
1: walk off
3: two feet. <laughs> Mobile no dinosaurs. Zoids. <gasps> oh. Do, oh. Do you know what? There's a Zoid in the Natural History Museum. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have you seen it?
5: Ah. Oh, I, I have. Yeah, so yeah. Of course. Yeah. So
3: cool. that, 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 it's so
5: cool. It's t Rex Zoids, right?
3: Yeah, huge geek out moment. As you as you round the corner, as you're coming out of the sort of the walk around the dinosaur section of the Natural History Museum, they have a section of dinosaur toys and it'll there's a massive Zoid and then they've got a, a Grimlock, a mint condition Grimlock on display in the Natural History Museum. <laughs> at which point both myself and my son turn to each other and say, SLAG! And then we leave. <laughs> <laughs>
5: And everyone looks at your wife with pity. And yeah.
3: <laughs> God bless you, Ben. Thanks for getting that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh,
1: okay. we got to talk about Jeff Goldblum, I think.
3: We're going to start yes. covering actors. I think we, we, need, yeah, we need to do some... We need oh, to go before, through before the actors. Before we get to that, I did want to bring up
4: something Sean did mention, because he did bring up the theme of overcoming fear. And again, just that's... Um, like in Jaws, it's also... It's a big deal in this movie for, for its main protagonist, which is uh, Alan Grant. Um, like I said, like, everyone has got this fear, like, you know, there's some sort of fear for the dinosaur. You can also argue maybe people didn't have enough fear going in. Yeah, but like you said, like, like, Grant is not afraid of these dinosaurs. Like, he gets his way around that. He's uh, He was afraid of, you know, the kids. Yep. And, um, like, him having, and if you go to that whole group, that whole group was afraid of something. Like, uh, Tim was afraid of heights. What was it Alexi was afraid of, like, what, it was trying new things. Like, she was very, right? like, that. That was uh, that was something... And, um, yeah, like, Grant's fear was these kids. And, you know, he, like, him having to kind of go through that as he, as he goes through the whole thing. Like, that, that's, that's like their section of the movie, is what I kind of saw that as. It was all about overcoming fear. See, I have to go and, like, divide everybody's section. I'm sure he covers every,
2: uh,. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I want to talk about the uh, the music in the movie at all? Because I think I think the score, in, iconic. Yeah, the score u- in this movie, I think it's I think it'd be a totally different movie. Like Jaws, we keep referencing Jaws. I think without the music in this movie, it would be a totally different experience. Because I think mm-hmm. I think the music really works to set that again that sort of larger than life tone that this movie has in a lot of instances with the visuals and what's going on. And it kind of it kind of has that almost like majesty. In some of the sequences, mm. when you see the Brachiosaur and when the when the helicopters first coming into the island, uh, I just I love that music in the back. I
4: think also it's it's a very restrained score too because it's something I know me and Vern talk about sometimes when it kind of kills us. I know it, like tense scenes like they have like the really loud music and stuff like that. Sometimes <laughs> it kind of ruins mm-hmm. that. this this like in the movie there are they're, they're seen, like like some of probably the scene we keep talking about, which is like one of the scariest scenes, is the the T Rex scene, and I don't think there's any score no. act.
1: Well, it's, it's all you're left just just the to, rain yeah, You're just, just hearing seeing. the you're hearing the re- the, the, mm. the actual you know, T Rex. I think
4: today you would have like a huge score for the for the T every time a T Rex came out, it'd be some you know techno music or something. <laughs> 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 and,
3: uh... See, there's there's the difference between Spielberg and and the Michael Bay's of the world. Whereas Michael <laughs> Bay would have it would be cut like an MTV video, um, and it would have this you know it would just have this really really heavy clunky. Uh, I'm assuming this is what the kids think is cool nowadays, soundtracks. <laughs> but then again, again, we keep going back to Jaws, but it makes sense to do that because it's, you know, it's, it's the same brainchild and the, you're right Alec It's very regal the music it's kind of I don't know it, it harkens back again to kind of a magical time of um of cinema and it has that kind of wondrous feel about it very similar to to the way that Jaws does all of the um the boat sequences mm. where it's kind of like this swashbuckling pirates um you know seven, seven seas kind of um kind of music this has got that it, it it could be kind of a, Jill, a Jules Verne type um, type thing, or get, um, or some Ray Harryhausen yeah. um, kind of thing. It it's very it's a very respectful uh, score. It kind of hangs back when it needs to, and then when it needs to be there, it's it's just amazing. I like, I love it. It's a great piece of music. Did you want to? Should we, should we do, start uh, doing the actors? Let's do actors. Yeah, go to the actors. Let's do Jeff because yeah, we've, yeah, we we've been spouting uh, about Jeff. So.
1: I I just think he's great in this. Just again for that kind of asshole dick attitude he has that he's you know he's kind (laughs) of cocky but he he's you know he's right like he he's rightly cocky like he he's allowed to be boasting because this guy is right the whole time he's got that kind of hipster rock star attitude around it and we've kind of talked about it before but what i really love about jeff goldblum in this uh this movie is just kind of how loosely he plays this character and I, i i've watched the making of this movie before it's been a while but i remember one thing about it was that um, he actually kind of improved a lot of the. Uh, like, I'm, I'm not saying a lot, but a nice bit of the lines that you kind of see in this movie, like the scene where he's doing the chaos experiment in the in the car with um with Laura Dern, Ellie, and, and he's doing the water, and Alan jumps out to go see the Triceratops, Ellie jumps out, when he's just kind of left in the car by himself and he's talking to himself. Yeah. And He's just like, you know, you know, that's chaos. Yeah, that's chaos. I'm right um, yeah, <laughs> here now. I'm sitting here talking to myself. That's all improv. And I just, like, to watch that scene and know that he was just kind of doing that on the spot, I just, like, that's so, it just that, that just so shows you he was doing just such a great job being that character. Because in an instance, he is so into that character. And I and I mentioned before, like, next to Muldoon, he is, you know, one of the coolest guys in this movie. Uh, every time he's on screen. Every who does, time,
4: who does Malcolm in, day, in this movie, remind, like, from what other movie is, like, a, a character, like, well, who does he remind you of the most? For me, Bill who? Murray in Ghostbusters, I think he kind of reminds yeah. me
2: yeah I can about. see that I can yeah. see that I could see that. He, I, like, I,
4: whatever situation, he always had something funny to say about it. it didn't matter what was going on, and oh. I know. He just I, I, that, that's that's to me closest proximity I get to go. That, like he's, that's,
1: he's that's joking, yet at the same time he's like serious about it, and it's actually what he's saying is kind of scary. Like you, well, laugh.
4: Murray and Ghostbusters kind of does that too. He yeah. kind of always points out what's ridiculous about the scene they're and in, you, and you stuff
1: laugh like that. in that instant, but then you think about what he just said, and he's like, "Oh, that's actually kind of fucked up." <laughs>
0: you
2: well, know? It, 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 <laughs> because I just think they that's
0: great. They both have how, both those characters. Both have a charming, enthusiastic, sarcasm about them, yeah, and, yeah. and it, it sells the character well.
5: How yeah. uh, similar is is how he plays the character to how he's written in the book?
1: I can't even remember. Is he
5: is he is he this kind of rock star kind of? thing in the book or is in that the book, I mean,
4: in the book he comes off a lot more like I hate scientists like that's really what he yeah, comes out yeah, yeah. with like, in the <laughs> yeah. book like it's not he's not, any, well, he no, was, he's not really I
1: think great. he was working a lot because he was a mathematician and he was just really working a lot to disprove a lot of scientists so that's yeah, kind of where like, that attitude he, came from
4: he doesn't have that like cool swagger in the book that Malcolm has in well,
5: the book. Yeah, I I I'm I've got this nagging thing in the back of my head that I have no facts to back up, but it's just back, nagging in the back of my head that Jeff Goldman is riffing on someone who was around at the time. One of the because chaos, here was is this is around the time that I was in university and and when you go to nightclubs and uh, the they project sort of fractal images on, on on the walls and everyone would be you know high on drugs and stuff. Not me, obviously. I'm you know I just sitting here. You're, so. you're good. Um, yeah. Um, Mama Done raised me right. And uh, and <laughs> the you know, the the the, the Fractal, all that kind of stuff was very much it was all very cool. The the, the chaos stuff and, and then these kind of very colourful images that came from that and the rave scene were all kind of oddly connected as, as he does Pets he to.
4: does have a little bit of um Terence McKenna kind of vibe. Yeah, I don't know if you know who he, that is. Is he
1: the L S D guy?
4: No, that's Tim ah, McKenna. Right
2: there, yeah. not good, not good.
4: Um Ter- Terrence McKenna was the guy who wrote that um what was that book? The Invisible Landscape, I think. Uh, he does oh, a right. lot of, um... He does a lot of, like, um, public speaking and stuff like that. And, is
0: that uh, the gentleman that ha- that has a distrust about the internet?
4: Uh, maybe. Oh. I don't know. Okay, But, yeah, he, he does remind me a little of him. I can't remember if that was from around this time, though. Uh, but, yeah, he... But yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised.
5: Yeah, it seems that there's a kind of... It might just the, be that, a that an animation satire. of something kind of scene, I think. That whole sure, thing. absolutely. And uh, there, there is a sort of satire on that, and that, uh, he is. And of course, you know, you put Jeff Goldblum in anything and and it instantly gets better. You know, I mean, he, he's made that Law & Order show watchable, hasn't he? I mean, it's just he is, he's got he's an incredibly meticulous actor and he's very uh, his, his performance is always very detailed and, and uh, he, he's he's. Uh, and he teaches acting as well, and he's, he's got a very strong grasp of, of of his sense of self within whatever whatever character he's playing. I mean, he is one of those actors who kind of, you know. There's you know the the great thing about him for me is that there's, there's something very Jeff Goldblumy about everything he does. He, I don't know how he manages it, but for me, certainly, it never kind it never really gets in the way. I mean, like Nicholas, kind of like Nicholas Cage. Nicolas Cage sometimes for me. Falls over himself, uh, whereas Jeff Goldblum doesn't for me, and, and and he brings such a, a great air of, of laconic cynicism to this film that I, I, he's easily my favorite character in it.
4: I like the in way... A way in a way I think okay. he's riffing off of um, off of my favorite performances, of his, which is in Cronenberg's A Fly*. Mm. He even has the same explanation for why he wears the black clothes also i don't ever have to worry about what i have to wear or whatever like that was like the same thing he says in the fly um, so i don't know I, I did i did seem a little bit like that at least how he is in the beginning of the fly not yeah, so yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i do
1: like how he like he always constantly kind of stumbles on his words when he begins to say something you know, and he kind of has to repeat himself and, and such. I just kind of like that about the character because it just it kind of shows like how excited he is to kind of deliver this next line and kind of again prove why he's right or something when he's talking about chaos or or, or something. I, I don't know. I just thought that was a nice touch that he threw in for the Ian Malcolm character.
3: As, have you seen? I mean, have you uh, Alec? Have you seen him in much else? Or I, was, Independence
1: is this... Day, and I. That's about it, really.
3: Honestly. Okay. I mean, I, I definitely agree agree with you, Vern. It's you know. it's the, and exactly the same with Bill Murray Bill Murray is kind of Bill Murray in every movie he's in uh, and, and same with Jeff Goldblum and 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 not comparing the two but uh, Ricky Gervais is finding this as well you know it's kind of we need a British guy who's kind of like Ricky Gervais do you know what let's just get Ricky Gervais to do it Jeff Goldblum doesn't fall into that character category I mean you, you couldn't see anyone else playing Malcolm but then again it's for me, I, I'm not seeing Malcolm. I'm seeing Jeff Goldblum. But I'm loving it. You know, I'm 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 absolutely loving everything he does. You know, the the little stutter or the intro to all his lines as he as you know he stumbles over himself because he's so excited. For me, that's Jeff Goldblum. It isn't. You know, it isn't Malcolm. <laughs> he did that in the holston pills adverts when he was you know doing all that stuff about you have to drink them at 90 degrees or whatever it was he's he's superb he's absolutely superb he's a joy to watch and i really enjoyed Uh, All the scenes away from the car, all the the stuff at the beginning of the film is my favourite stuff with Malcolm because, of course, it doesn't involve him running. It's actually him being very clever and being very funny and flirting. I love that scene with him explaining chaos theory and being very charming um, and saying, I refuse to believe that you don't know, you know, that you don't understand the theory of chaos and it's quite clear that she's all taken up with this, but Grant is so... I don't know dinosaur obsessed that he's just near <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the Velociraptor instead.
2: Th-
3: <laughs> 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 um, but he, yeah, he uh, Jeff Goldblum in whatever he's in, whether he's, um, chagging Emma Thompson in the tall guy or turning into a fly. Um, he's, he's always engaging. He's great, and, and in, and it's, he's
4: great in life aquatic as well. I,
3: aquatic. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen it, oh, but this is perfect, seen perfect casting. Absolutely. Perfect.
4: Who do you want to talk about next? I want to talk about Lord urn. I, 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 uh, I think Laura Dern is really underrated. Like, I think she's she's one of the best actresses of her generation, in my opinion. I think she gave the best, one of the best, probably the best female performance in a in a film in the last ten years. In David Lynch's Inland Empire, which a crime she did not get nominated for an Oscar in that. She's also in David Lynch's Blue Velvet, which is also one of my favorite. Movies. Oh, of course, yeah. Uh, and uh, so I, I I like her in this. Like, she plays like like that scene. Like again, it's perfectly illustrated in that scene with uh, with Hammond. It's like. She can be really, she can be really sweet, but really stern at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like she, like it, it's a, it's a hard thing to balance, I think, and play it convincingly. But um, I like to hear what you think about that, Vern. Well, As she's... usually, you know, talk about the acting. Yeah. Well, she is, <laughs> with the yeah, yeah,
5: the, during the, with talk the Ted, <laughs> Yeah, no, she is. She is a very good actor, and, and of course, you know, uh, the sign of, of two really great actors. You know, um, and I think her part in this i think we 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 meet the character at a really interesting time um is that she's sort of partnered with this guy who's totally obsessed with his work and she clearly has been to to be um to be his equal um and she's hitting it just as she's sort of getting broody which is an interesting kind of character thing and that's an interesting kind of Almost satirical thing on on on, on the role of, 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 of women in society and blah 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 blah. blah. It's a much bigger uh, question that obviously they don't really go into, but it's I think it's kind of there in that we so as as the movie progresses and she's kind of trying to convince him that um, be, having a family would be a good thing, and then of course these kids suddenly appear and then there's all this peril. She kind of at the beginning part i think she's taking everything she's obviously passionate about it but it's it's almost like all of that stuff is starting to take a second place and this idea of wanting to be a mother is 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 is, is taking precedence you know and so she's got a kind of detachment from it all and a sort of sense of humor about everything which i think if this film had been if you like set Four years earlier in their lives together, then it would have been they would have been much more similar characters. And I think what's happened is, as, as you know, the, as, as we enter the film, she's moving into this different phase of of her uh, of her life, and so she's got a, an interesting kind of view on it. And she's she kind of semi innocently, although I think maybe a little bit less than semi, but semi innocently plays Sam Neil off against Jeff Goldblum. Because Jeffrey was obviously there being very loose and being very sexy and and flirting and she flirts a little bit back to kind of get a little bit of a rise out out of um out of grant and that's that's an interesting dynamic it's so a very sort of playful and fun kind of relationship that they have they're obviously incredibly passionate about their work that they've done together and she's trying to shake him up a little bit and that's I think that's a really subtle thing that I, don't, that, that I don't know if it was just in the script or if she's, she's brought that to it. It's a very subtle sort of thing that, that happens before all the screaming and running around happens. You know, obviously once, you know, you're running from a dinosaur, if going to eat you, then, you know, your priorities change yet again. <laughs> but, um, you know, but, but I think that that's a really interesting thing. And, and she is very clear. I mean, and it's a great and a very nineties balance, that they that they reach with her is that she's incredibly good at her job, whilst being very feminine and being maternal. You know, I think, uh, it's, I think uh, it's
1: really shown in that triceratops scene, when she's trying yes, to take so care
3: of it with the poop. with yeah. the poop.
5: With the poo. Yeah, and and great. And I mean, what you know? Could there be a better allegory of parenthood? Then there's, there's this thing <laughs> that you're not jumping. communicates with the kill and you're covered in shit. And that's it essential. Works. It works. <laughs> <laughs> that is essentially what the first year of, of parenting is all about, really.
3: Yeah, that yes. is a big pile of shit.
5: <laughs>
4: <laughs> I was gonna throw the I'll throw the clip in of that there. <laughs>
2: okay, wash your hands. That is one big pile of shit. <laughs>
1: This is like the only movie I can quote, so I'm taking advantage I'm of it. I'm loving this. I am, I'm loving it. I know thing. what Matt feels like now when he just walks in here and he throws all these lines down. I don't know what he means, but it's like, i got to take advantage while it's here.
3: All right. Who are we doing <laughs> now? Teenage Wasteland, episode 25, people. Yes. <laughs> of course, uh, you can only hear Matt out of one headphone. No, it's just me saying, seriously? you <laughs> seen going, seen, I have not seen that movie. Oh, that's great.
4: Remember when I put up like that thread, like uh, that thread, like, uh, like fifty oh, this, movies. Sounds yeah. like my favorite movies. He's like, I've seen one or whatever. <laughs> but uh all right, I guess um next, uh Sam neill as Alan Grant. Sam neill. yeah. Another, I think, underrated actor
2: of his.
5: Uh, his- Absolutely, Do you know. I was talking about. I'm so glad you said that, Jerry. I was, like I say, I, I watched this film, unusually watched uh, a, a, a Matt Naylor film with someone else, and we were talking about him and. He's, although he's been in, like, you know, he was in, um, you know, The Omen, and, um, and obviously he was a big actor in Australia prior to that, and, and he's done, he's, he's kind of never out of work. But it's like he's, ne- even though this is a massive film, he's never really sort of cracked that A list status thing, Samuel. And I think that's mostly to do with how he wants to run his career. Uh, one presumes that he's like, well, I'll do this massive film here, then I'm going to go back to Australia. And of course, at this time, there was, you know, not not a, a tenth of the, the film industry in Australia that, that there is now. Um, they brings are the, back. Well, they all,
2: they,
5: <laughs> yes, course, they did. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but it's it's, uh, but of course, a lot of American films are made there now. You know, obviously, after uh, Matrix, I think was one of the first to to use uh, to shoot the whole movie in Australia. You know, so so. He is kind of, I don't know, he, he's, he's, although he I'm was, sure he was
4: resistant, I think, to being in this too, I think. Yeah. Because uh, I remember there was two other actors that were, that did get offered this role, like Harrison um, Ford, I believe, was one. No, no,
0: it was Richard Dreyfuss and Kurt Russell.
4: Really? Because I, I was yeah. just reading something the other day where they said William, Wh- Hurt, William Hurt, was offered.
0: Because yeah. that was all in uh, the book, um... The Making of Jurassic Park and Adventure sixty five million years in the making. Yeah, I, I, have,
4: yeah, re- I have that book. I had I was trying to find it for this, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I know. I'm pretty sure Harrison Ford at least like was 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 in their eye at one point as being the. Uh, as
5: well, that's being, a kind of a bit of a misnomer, isn't it? Because when you're as big as you know those, I mean, Tom Cruise would have been sent the script as well. But it doesn't mean he was necessarily interested and or up for it in a real. No, sense. I think
4: I think what ha- I think like um, Sam Neil was like spielberg's first choice and like i offered it to him and he didn't want it and so they they gave it to some other but he decided um it was something uh i can't remember because basically he he had some he had a deal with universal basically that like uh, he basically said like until he gets the right cast like he, he can wait like they can move the production like uh and i think that was it because he basically he had to move a lot of the production around because the specific actors he wanted he wanted to make sure they got it and like uh some people I know they waited till they were done filming something else. I know with Richard uh, Teneborough it was uh, he was filming Chaplin I believe, and like they waited till that was done so he could be in this, and he hadn't acted in like fifteen years or something like that. And um, yeah, so I think that was it. And then basically they went back to Sam, and he's just like, "All right, fine, you know, I'm not going to turn down a Spielberg film twice, I guess." But but yeah, I think that that's how he, I think that's basically how what happened there.
5: Right, but you know he is—he is a fine, fine actor, and uh, he—and I think he's—and he does a lot of uh, stage work, I believe, and and you kind of get the feeling he's one of those actors that really that's where the real stuff is happening. Um, And I I think he's done lots of films that are okay. Um, I think this—you know—obviously this is a good film, but it's not a film where he's doing. Big, heavy, emotional scenes. It's you know, it's you know, it's it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a popcorn movie. he's running around and trying not to get eaten by an imaginary dinosaur movie, which is which is fine. But it, there's you kind of get the feeling that there's there's so much more that we're not getting from from Sam Neill you know. Uh, but that said, he's great in this one because in in a way, he's he he has, does have that kind of overgrown little boy kind of uh, vibe going on. But it's not so much that you just that you want to punch him. You just kind of think you can get that he's obsessed with his uh, with his career and 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 with the with this other world that he that he lives in and he, and he and that disparate sort of sense you get of of him and the sort of the the modern world, which is kind of that kind of gets a bit lost as as the film goes on and, and you know the, the chase ensues, but yeah no, he's, he's, I think it's it's, a, it's a, It's a great character. I don't know if there's more of the, you know, I can't remember the second film. I've I've not watched that since he was on the cinema. But but there you go. I think he's, uh, well, you know, obviously he's a great actor, but I think he's got a a really nice, rounded character within this too.
0: What I like about the character is, is that even though he technically doesn't really care much for kids, his excitement about the dinosaurs in general (laughs) is magnified in the one scene where he shows a... um, it was like a raptor talent or something like that. And he frightens one of the kids he frightens one of the kids without really thinking about what he's actually doing. You know what I mean? And that always cracks me up every time I see that scene. And I don't think he realizes he's truly frightening the child by showing him this raptor talent. But as later on where he starts to understand that, okay, I kinda have to balance this out a little bit. I know I love dinosaurs and this is my thing, but I also have to you know, kind of man up and be that, you know, protector and assure the kids that everything is going to be all right. Before that, you know, he didn't give a damn. It's all about the dinosaurs. So, you know, there is that that shift and that change, and I, I did like that w- with the character. I thought he did a great job too.
4: If you want to see a really great Sam Neil performance, you should check out uh, John Carpenter's no fuck that. So, <laughs> no, Doug uh, Carpenter's uh, in the mouth of madness. That that's a he's a great performer
5: yes. Uh, yes, yeah, no, he is. Yes, I've seen that movie. Yes, you know, he is great. Enough.
3: The true. other, the other one, the other performance which I I think of as the best, putting up with someone performance is him in the Hunt for Red October, because he he is acting his bollocks off in that film. He has to do <laughs> a Russian accent. He's from New Zealand, I think. He's for, or Australia.
5: Um, he's
3: Australian, yeah, I think, yeah. Look at that. We've managed to say Australia a few times. In ver- anyway.
5: <laughs> he's
3: oh um, He's absolutely acting his nuts off in that film. Sean Connery comes along as a Russian submarine captain and is just a Scottish Russian for the whole film. And Sam Neill is there doing his best to be... Russian and poor old, and he must have been so angry at Sean because surely <laughs> i am got this Russian, I will be this throughout the whole film, no matter what you say and that, um, that sh- <laughs> and I always just felt so sorry for Sam Neill and you can see even though he wants to stab the guy in the back I think the character actually doesn't like they don't like each other anyway but I always thought there was just this hatred from him because I'm really trying here I'm really trying to act and in this film he gets to act against you know imaginary dinosaurs as you so rightly said and I just think He's perfect for it. I think Spielberg intentionally chose somebody that isn't necessary, wasn't necessarily like a household name, in a Mark Hamill kind of way, because the stars of this film yes they were the dinosaurs as opposed to the cast but the cast is absolutely perfect i, I think he's i i wouldn't have wanted to see harrison ford in that role i think sam neill is is perfect i think we've i think we've done hammond haven't we we've we've done Attenborough, yeah, pretty, really. much, I pretty much, pretty much
2: yeah
4: I, I would also point out i think that's about it for the cast but um i would mm-hmm. say i do think joseph Mazzello and ariana richards are like, two of the best like kid actor performances like i think in a movie uh-
5: Man, that, that girl does scared like no other actor I've ever seen. She is petrified through the whole thing, and she's fantastic in it. I think, it's, it's, they, I think they're both really nicely, I mean, you know, Spielberg can get performances out of kids. He just can, you know, and, and he does, he works his magic here again. I think they're both uh, really, really they great. Got, they, some,
4: they have some pretty heavy lifting to do for, you know.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah,
3: yeah.
0: And, um, they got, okay. and they got, they got short shrifted in the sequel.
3: Yeah, man. Mm. I'm sure for like uh, I don't need minutes. to talk about that. <laughs> I, just,
1: uh, I,
4: still don't hate, I still don't hate Lost World. I mean, Lost it's... World is the worst no, movie ever, no,
0: no, Oh, no. I've okay, seen it no. no. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> That That was, I think, Lost World, I think, is the first time I actually, when I saw a movie, and I, I, I walked out mad. Like, I was like, that was so... <laughs> Bad, and I was still just a kid at that time. And I remember being bad, and I was like, everyone started, Oh, it wasn't his Bellmuck. Like, no, it was bad, it was oh, awful. On, that, the scene
1: with the trailers going over the cliff and no, the, the raptors and a lot like, how,
4: how do you make oh. a movie cast Vince Vaughn and he's not funny? And he's not, he's nothing. He's yeah, boring. He was
1: kind of funny in that movie. He had yeah. some good not. lines. He, he had, had some too. good lines in that movie. No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. <laughs> only, only what are we <laughs> going on? <laughs> we going on a wild goose chase or something?
4: And the freaking, oh. they got the stupid kid doing gymnastics. Well, that, was dumb. that was dumb. <laughs> I knew that was dumb. That
1: was dumb. And you know what? The T-Rex in San Diego was pretty dumb, too. But that was
2: ridiculous. I, don't, anyway. I still don't
1: hate and that And how the
4: fuck did he fucking eat those people? fuck It makes no fucking sense.
2: Oh my anyway. god, <laughs>
4: look how angry he is.
2: We should do we should do an
3: episode just called Rolling movies the Lewis movies I left at. the cinema mad at, that would be great. Yeah. so like nothing I like be I like Jurassic Park three. State I think
4: it's a mine. fun fun monster movie. I don't really see why. It's it. not
1: it's not bad. I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it of but I still I still don't hate Last World. Ugh. I gotta rewatch the I gotta rewatch the sequels now, and I'm probably gonna rewatch Jurassic Park tonight because it's just like I don't know. I really enjoyed talking about it with all you guys.
4: <laughs> One thing I want to say though before before we go is um, I know I've talked to Sean about this, I think I've talked to Alec about this, but that rumored that there was originally an ending where they blew up the park. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. And apparently, like I've I've it's funny because I've heard it from many many sources that at least it was gonna happen. Um, that apparently they were like Spielberg was gonna blow up a small island. And real for real <laughs> to get this shot for the last movie like it was supposed to end with the the you know destroying the island and apparently there was a rumor that it was shot and everything but Spielberg was disgusted with it and didn't use it and uh, I see again like, all the all the stuff I like, the sources I used to have disappeared like I can't find a single thing about this anymore
3: <laughs> so I kind of want to because you've been digging happen, but... they've been taken out <laughs>
4: Exactly. <laughs> But I still, I know for sure though, at one point it was going, at least going to happen. And the island was like, yes, yes, blow us up. They did, like they wanted to be in a Spielberg movie so bad. <laughs> <laughs> like that's how much power that guy had at one point. Where he'd he just go in, and be like oh. I want to blow up your island. And I'm like, sure. You know, yeah, like, okay. I've got
3: this. I've got this kind of Copler Apocalypse Now napalm scene going through my brain yeah, now. Yeah, it
4: was. It was going to be something like that. Wow. And, uh, but like again, it, there's some stuff that leads credence to that like the, they even mentioned that they changed the ending entirely, like the whole thing with the t-rex coming in like that was never intended to happen. It was something the really- ending
1: in the book is pretty different as well i mean hammond dies in the book too i believe so does malcolm yeah. Yeah, they, 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 well he so malcolm supposedly dies when they come out no, Mal- the if you
4: book. read the book the first book he's dead yeah and if i read but the second then, book the, yeah. oh they found him and he's alive yeah yeah but yeah grant dies as well what's his name the hunter dude we were talking about he lives yeah, yeah. Gennaro lives i believe like a lot of stuff but uh yeah i guess that's uh yeah. That's about it, I guess. What? Anyone want to talk about any uh, like stuff in other media? Like uh, real- there's.
1: I was thinking about it last night because there's a great um, video game called um, Jurassic Park: Operation Genesis. Yeah, uh, it's you build the park. Yeah, you build the park That's and you true. like make the dinosaurs and you gotta sell tickets and stuff. And like, I I'm, I don't know. I, I had that game and I'm thinking about reinstalling it on my system now, just to kind of play it just for. I, I had that for
4: it. PlayStation Two. I think
1: I yeah. have it for PC. And I think I'm gonna reinstall it. Just it's also a Jurassic
4: Park Rampage, where you, What was you know, the Nightmare What was
1: Nightmare? the game? What was the game for PlayStation <laughs> One where it was just like a first-person shooter and you were trying to get through like the island or something?
4: You're thinking of Dino Crisis? That's no,
1: cool. no, no. It's a Jurassic Park game. I know it because it came out right when Lost World came out. It probably was. That sounds.
3: Like, that just sounds like Turok.
1: <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it it's, like- <laughs> it's, it's it's the Jurassic, It was a Jurassic Park game. Just, Lost I think it's World. just the Lost World yeah, game. Yeah, I remember playing yeah. that
3: a lot too. I had a game for the original Game Boy, the the brick. You need to turn it to the light just right to play it. Game Boy, yeah. I, and it was like a from an, it was like an above view, like the old Grand Theft Auto view, and it was awful. It was like a map. It just wasn't. It wasn't particularly good. But the I suppose yeah. the the most recent development is the comic book, yeah. which um, which I fanboy did a really nice um, show on yeah, um, a couple that, of days yeah, ago. Shrek. But um, there was
4: also a series in the nineties from Topps Comics that uh, was written by Walt Simonson. I think Gil Kane and George Perez were the artists. Mm-hmm. There was like an adaptation of the movie but then they also did Return to Jurassic Park. I think was uh, Steve Englehart I think wrote it. Um, I know they're all going to be collected into an omnibus this year from IDW. Oh wow. And like, I and, like uh. They were awesome comics. Like apparently, like, they went back and like the Raptors got so smart they were like operating computers and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> had a headset on it was flying an airplane, it was really cool. Oh damn.
0: <laughs> oh, I, I need to own that. That is comic book greatness. When raptors <laughs> fly airplanes, see people, see that's what you use comic books for, for just exactly. complete and utter silliness that could never happen. Yeah. That's
2: awesome. <laughs>
4: but like like you mentioned, Matt, yeah, JP Redemption actually came out this past week. So yeah, so I, apparently if it does really well, it's going to be an ongoing series. So
2: mm.
4: they got some great like Frank Miller did a cover, like Paul, Paul Pope, Pope, Adams. William Stout, who's, like, one of the, you know, premier dinosaur artists, did a cover. And like you said, check out that iFanboy uh, interview, because that was that was really good.
3: It was very good. I mean, he's definitely got the contact, so if he wants to if he wants a cover done, he can get it at the drop of a dime. Yeah, it's a really good interview, and uh, I'm going to check that out. I, d- I did like the name, apparently Lex. <laughs> Lexi, her, the name of her, her company is Lex Crops, not Lex Corp, <laughs> which I thought was quite funny. <laughs> I thought that was really funny.
4: <laughs> I like the fact that he's using those characters, too, because I think, like, mm. the i was happy to hear it does it sounds like it'll actually matter it's not just uh dinosaurs eating people there actually is going to be some ties to the movie so mm-hmm. um and lastly you know talk about spin-offs or rip-offs or whatever you know you want to call Um one of my favorite b movie of all time is um adam simon's carnosaur produced by roger corman and if you uh, i love the book as well it's one of my favorite books the whole thing with that was you know, Corman spent more money than he used. He spent like a million dollars to make that movie so he can get it out in time to release it the week before Jurassic Park, which they did. And they actually made quite a bit of money off of it. So, yeah, I thought I always thought that was really funny that they managed to get this movie out right before. So it probably didn't even... like The effects and stuff probably didn't even look as bad because you probably hadn't seen Jurassic Park yet. There's a lot of like, puppet effects and stuff like that. But I, I think it's a really really fun kind of it seems like a shame because if it was done better i think it could have been like a science fiction classic but uh they kind of it it is kind of yeah with really bad acting all all that they did get diane ladd who is you know um laura dern's mother to (laughs) play the bad scientist in the movie But yeah if you if you got if you got a spare 90 minutes check out carnosaur so much fun there's also carnosaur 2 and 3 and raptor
5: (laughs) yeah what do you mean, more think, dinosaur movies? Yeah. Like? As you went through that list, I got quite sort of stingy with my 90 minutes that would be spared. <laughs> Only so you need watch one, Carnosaur, I, two. Yeah. Carnosaur 2.
4: Carnosaur is, 2 is cool. It's just aliens with dinosaurs in it. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Raptor has our funniest fucking shit performance from Eric Roberts in it, so it's kind of worth watching. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. I
4: think yeah, we, Sean, we, I know you got to go. Beat. Um, So you want to plug before you go?
0: Oh, thank That's you. Hey, if, uh, you know, if you like comics, um, go to pkdmedia.com, www.pkdmedia.com. Um, we have uh, the buddy cop comedy, Mercury and the Merd, up every Monday and Tuesday. Uh, we also have some sci-fi action with uh, XO one and the RockSaw Steelbots on Wednesday. Um, we also have uh, paramil- paranormal military action with Agents of Cult on Fridays. Also do a podcast uh, called, called The PKD Black Box, which is also available on our website and through iTunes. And as a matter of fact, trying to work out some things to have some uh, members of the Matinee Idols on the show in the near future, although I haven't told some of them yet. So, uh, (laughs) but uh, trying to get all that worked out, too. But we talk about, you know, pop culture stuff, pop culture movies, comics, uh, TV, uh, just a little bit of everything in between, and we have a real good time. And, yeah, pkdmedia.com is your source for everything. And um, thank you guys for having me on the show. Seriously, I had a really, really good time. And now I need to try to find one of my Jurassic Park action figures I used to have or had the uh, tear-off body part action. So, oh, uh, That's what I was thinking Which think one
4: about. you need? I got a whole bunch of I got to
0: find, I, I, I gotta find out which one it was. I want to say it was Muldoon. I can't remember. I, I need to double check just to make sure. But um, th- 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 There was the
4: th- uh, the Nedry figure. had the one where you could take his arms and legs off. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, I have, I actually, it's, I had a huge, I had the entire line of the Lost World figures, Mm -hmm. which I just sold last year for like a couple hundred bucks because I didn't need them really anymore. But uh, I did keep (laughs) a lot of the original, like the, I had, you know, the T-Rex and, you know, a lot of that stuff because I was like, I couldn't get rid of these, but Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Great toys, Not a lot of great toy. I feel, wish we could have talked a bit more about that, but I know I gotta kinda go because I was gonna talk about the Chaos Effect line and everything like that. But yeah.
0: Oh, don't get me started. Obviously <laughs> I might have to have you on the show just to talk about that.
2: There we go. <laughs> oh, I'll be there.
0: <laughs> Very cool. No, but seriously, guys, thank you so much. I, I had a great well, time.
2: Thank you. My uh, no, pleasure. Thank you.
0: Cool. I had a great time as well. I'm an echo, Sean. So yeah. I,
1: like, yeah, I liked cool. hearing your thoughts on JP. It's good. Good shit.
4: I should add our next uh, selection is my pick. It's uh, The Wackness, which is uh, directed by Jonathan Levine. Uh has, uh, was it, Josh Peck is in it, and uh, was it Ben Kingsley. Um, I'm really looking forward to talking about it. I think it's a, another kind of different kind of movie than we usually cover, so I'm looking forward to hearing your uh, guys' reactions to it.
1: I'll be disturbed or something.
4: <laughs> that's what it's it kind like. of a field movie, so I don't know if that's... Uh... It's going to ruin your world. <laughs>
1: All right, if you want to get a hold of us or send in any sort of feedback, please email at matineeidols at gmail.com. Go over to our website, see what we got written up on the website at matineeidols.com. Also subscribe at iTunes in the iTunes Music Store. Search Matinee Idols, easy to do. If you have not, leave an iTunes review. It uh, helps us get more into the public eye. We love the, Matt, we love the iTunes reviews and Matinee Idols, that's what I was going to say. Uh, also, search us on Facebook. Matinee Idols become a fan there that's awesome and you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash Matinee Idols and of course remember our sponsor Audible at audiblepodcast.com slash Matinee Idols alright then
2: okay <laughs> somebody, awesome.
1: somebody make a funny and we'll get out of here
0: <laughs> alright well I'm gonna go ahead and Actually, go I gotta go trendy. I gotta go turn on that uh, power generator acro- across the uh, across the county so <laughs> <laughs>
2: there it is there we go there we go
0: And that concludes this week's PKD Black Box. The PKD Black Box is available via iTunes, or you can go to pkdmedia.com to get our show, check out our forum, and read comics like Mercury and the Murd, X01 on the Rock Solid Steelbots, Agents of Cult, and Luke Foster's The Gang from the Store, six days a week for free. And if you're on iTunes or our forum board, drop us a line or email us at blackbox at pkdmedia.com. Thanks again for listening. Until then, dream big and hustle hard.